welcome to episode 204 of the Overlook Hour. I am your host, Clark Little. Along with me, as always, is the man who likes hot dogs. The man who is, I'm going to guess, wearing pants. Wrong. Oh, we got shorts today? Yeah. Randy, we got a shorts. Randy, how how you feeling? No, what kind of shorts we got? We got a khaki. We got a gym mesh short. Uh, the same shorts I was wearing last time I talked to you when I was wearing shorts. So I only have two pairs. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. I think they're from H and M or something. Oh, Jinko, got the Jinkos. <laughs> The board shorts. Now, Randy, yeah. did, you ever wear, did you ever wear a board short, the the ones that go past the kneecap? Not really, no. I've always been a, like a just above the kneecap kind of guy. Not yeah. too far, though. I get you. Randy, how, how's everything on this Sunday? How you feeling? Eh, it's going all right. Woke up feeling weird. Got too caffeinated. Made me feel weirder. And then uh, just getting back to normal about now. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, I think I've consumed eight different types of liquid today, <laughs> and I think that it's—I uh, I think I had too much orange juice today, so I'm getting a, little, a getting a little rumbly in the tum tum. <laughs> that laugh that you hear is from Oksana Valeriana Vanema Osachi. Hi, <laughs> Osana, how are we doing today? Uh, not bad. Um, it's hot, but it feels like it's always hot here, so. Well, it's been hot. As a reminder, we've been in here for four hours. So what have you done in that time? Did you get some grocery shopping done? I put away a ton of laundry. Okay. I've been slacking on that. You laundered clothes, not money. (laughs) I folded laundry. Okay. You can fold money as well. Yeah. Just making the shirt. Joining us on the show this week is Ray Sullivan. Ray directed um, a short, several shorts that we've seen, uh, but he directed one called Good Business um, that got us involved in all his other uh, shorts. And, um, you know, uh, we, we mentioned this um, in the uh, middle part of the show and also with Ray is that uh, Russell, Oksana, and myself, we, we do this thing where we go deep dive on Amazon Prime and we find stuff and we were lucky enough to find uh, good business, uh, which blew us away uh, with his CG effects. And um, we, we immediately like, and this was back in December. Uh, we had to talk to this guy. And we finally uh, were able to uh, get scheduled with him. Thank you to Oksana as the new booker of hey. the show. <laughs> is, this your, is this your first official um, booking? I, I You've done some in the past, did right? did Eric Bress. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. I talked to his publicist. Um, I I think I also finalized the Slasher Victims interview. Oh, congratulations. (laughs) I've had the pleasure of speaking with him several times. I've also gotten my my first rejection from booking. I told you about earlier. (laughs) Randy, I'll tell you about our rejection off air. I'm a little hurt. (laughs) I I saw it coming, uh, but I wanted it so bad. But uh, I, I, I saw it coming. I think I accidentally made their publicist also feel bad. <laughs> I, like, I think we could have backdoored our way into that one. But um, no, I didn't even email the publicist. I emailed one of the directors and got forwarded to a publicist. Yeah, so. See, yeah I think there was an, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's their loss. 
And Randy, I'll tell you off mic. <laughs> Paul Schrader. Yes, Paul Schrader. Uh, we we spoke it. we spoke with his uh, in-house physician. <laughs> um, yes. So Ray Sullivan, uh, great talk. Um, was uh, very uh, gracious enough to speak with us uh, over uh, the internets while he was over there in Ireland. So uh, great to talk to Ray, and uh, stay tuned for that one. Before we get on to that, Oksana, you've got a lot of movies to tell us about of people of, of how we can see these things uh, through video on demand all that fun stuff maybe new physical releases what we got we do have a new physical release it's currently in the pre-order stage um, and it's a title we've talked about a lot because we had the pleasure of hosting the directors when we um when their movie played out here at another hole in the head and that is dead dicks yes with amazing cover art um and the disc has art on it too by uncle frank productions now from what i understand that's just for the is that just for the canadian release um well that's the limited so they do have like the regular one you can get from amazon but if you get if you go to unobstructedview.com you can pre-order the very limited it's only 500 copies of this um original artwork the the case looks cool there's a dick joke built into the <laughs> into the disc um nice. and it's original art by uncle frank productions who um is part of liverpool horror club and uh you can pre-order the canadian one it comes out to about 45 bucks with shipping but uh i feel like it's worth it so that's available at unobstructedview.com or if you go to uncle frank productions facebook he posted a link it was a little bit hard to find so when <laughs> when does that come out uh i'm not i believe 100%. tuesday i think tuesday we get it i know the the um regular release is tuesday but i think this one might be a little bit later okay um august late august all right but everyone quit sleeping this time it's finally here check out dead decks two discs special features a lot of cool art I, yeah I recommend picking it up um, but then on VOD that's video on demand Randy <laughs> <laughs> this week um, the Balboa is adding uh, Rebuilding Paradise to their virtual screening room directed by Ron Howard who I think Clark Love can't remember okay what <laughs> <laughs> I can never remember who you hate or love which director you know he's he's nice for a 60 year old hack it's fine <laughs> um so that's a documentary about the 2018 fires in paradise which were the worst in california history and then the uh the healing process that came about afterwards with the community um the roxy is also going to add that and that that opens friday the 31st the Roxy is also showing Mixtape in Place, which unfortunately is having its closing night when this uh, podcast airs. But that's the night if you tune in, you can see a Q&A with the filmmakers. So that's 40 shorts that were all made during the shelter in place. That's at the Roxy's virtual screening room. Um, that same Friday, Unhinged comes out on supposedly in theaters. I'm not 100% sure which ones. Um, and that movie is uh, has a very misleading synopsis it's about the dangers of road rage, and it stars Russell Crowe. Oh yes! It makes it sound like he's like 
out of nowhere crazy chasing this woman. I'm in. But I watched the trailer. She's kind of a bitch to him. He's also like uh, comes off immediately like uh, unstable, I guess. But she's just like persistently rude to him. So he starts um, terrorizing her. So <laughs> that's going to be out on Friday, too. Um, and we also got an email that the Arrow video has a streaming channel. I've been talking about it for years, Osachi. It's only available on Apple TV in, yeah. in the States. So I've I, been telling y'all to get it. with it. Apple TV, baby. <laughs> Even though they just rejected us. Again, Randy, <laughs> I'll tell you all fair. <laughs> um, so they're doing Monster Mayhem during um, what month? August? <laughs> yeah. They're adding a whole bunch of um, monster-themed titles to their streaming service, including... The, uh, the Witch Who Came From The Sea, which uh, we saw that at the Alamo during, I think it was a weird Wednesday. Um, they're adding Horrors of Malformed Men, The Untamed, Lake Michigan Monster, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So, okay. You have Apple TV. Hell yeah. Check that out. I subscribed <laughs> to Arrow for a while. But again, like everything, I cancel and then uh, maybe think about Rio because I have severe commitment issues. <laughs> For any questions, queries, concerns, or comments, please direct those to podcast at overlooktheater.com. Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, the other one, find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy. It's not any of my business what you do on your own personal time. The Overlook Hour is available on Facebook as The Overlook Hour. The Overlook Hour is available on Instagram as The Overlook Theater. The Overlook Hour is available on Twitter as The Overlook Hour. Find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Randy. Go get yourself a hot dog. We talk a lot about hot dogs. The correct hot dog? It may or may, yes. That may or may not make the final <laughs> cut of the show. I'm not sure. All right. For Russell Fisher, Randy Stead, Oksana Valeria Nouveau, Sachi Ray Sullivan, I'm Clark Little. Until episode 205, have fun, lollipops. dogs are great but uh, yeah there you go <laughs> no i mean i was very frustrated yesterday i decided on a whim that i was just gonna go 30 minutes to go get a hot dog at this drive through hot dog place and i spent 16 dollars on two hot dogs and a small diet coke no sides 16 dollars on two hot dogs and a coke in what universe is that not grossly overpriced <laughs> You know what I mean? Is this the A material you burned earlier? I'm just saying. <laughs> it's pretty expensive. What kind of dogs, though? Well, see, that's, that's the issue here, Randy Michael. I go there, and I'm like, I'm, okay, I'm going to get a chili cheese dog, and I'm going to get a Polish with mustard. Okay? Two of my top dogs. You understand? Top mm -hmm. dog. And then I go, and I, I, I pay the lady, and then I start driving down the road, and I, it, look, Randy, I'm 33 years old. I've been driving since I was 14. Been driving more than half of my life. 
So I can I can eat and drive like nobody's business. And a dog, a dog is a good now the chili cheese dog, you can run into some territory scary territory there. But you just gotta know how to do it, right? So if you treat it like a burrito, you can do it okay. Here, I got I got something hot dog related for you. Let's So is that what they're doing? What we're listening to now is uh, Tom Hanks is a Bay Area boy and the A's reached out to him because I guess he used to work for him. So now that they're piping in fake ambient noise, Tom Hanks came in and recorded as as if he was a hot dog vendor for the game. So tight. I did not know that. Me neither. (laughs) Yeah. Well. Maybe if I had Tom Hanks as my hot dog vendor yesterday, I would not run into the problem that I had. Because I go, I order the chili cheese dog and the Polish with the mustard, and then I go a few miles down the road. Sans chili on the chili cheese dog. Just a cheese dog. So now I'm out $16, and I'm out me going down the uh, 30 minutes out of the way to go get a hot dog, and I've got no chili cheese. I was very upset. Now, because who just gets a cheese dog? Yeah, that's kind of weird. Just get a hot dog with cheese. I I don't think I've ever gotten a drive-through dog ever. Why? That's a sad, that's the saddest thing you've ever told me. I don't know if I've gotten a drive-through dog. What the, y'all never been to Sonic? <laughs> uh, yeah, I have a long time okay. ago. I'm sorry, Tom Hanks has got my. It's more like a it's more like a drive-in dog. Because you, you stay there. Uh, Randy, I don't mean to play spoiler here, but most Sonics have a drive through Yeah, it's been uh, over a decade since I've been. Really? You're missing out. They're great. Also, I'd say uh, Sonic's <laughs> Chili Cheese Tots, best in the game, baby. Best in the game. Would you shut him <laughs> off? <laughs> You're like, hey, peanuts, peanuts. What the hell? Is that a baseball game in 1920 or something? Know, it's Tom Hanks. He's, you know. America's He's got the Rona. Dad. Randy. Now, Randy, are you, have you ever bitten, did you bite the bullet and, uh... Have you ever bitten the bullet? Well, it's a separate talk. <laughs> um, and, and get Apple TV, because I told it, I, you told me that you were going to watch that Beastie Boys documentary. Did you ever pull the trigger? I did, when that documentary came out, and I watched it, and then I stopped the subscription. <laughs> um, I was just going to ask if, if you had seen, um... Greyhound? Yeah. Or movie that he came out with that uh, dropped exclusively for Apple TV. I haven't yet. I hear it's decent dad movie. Yeah, that I definitely got that vibe. I mean, you know, that's his that's his market. But uh, yeah, I thought about watching it. I think war it's movies. like under ninety, right? It seems pretty brisk uh, for a war movie. If you can give me a war movie in ninety minutes, you know, I feel like just that. That's a good gesture. That's a good enough gesture for me. Yeah. One thirty-one. Well, that's pretty good. What was what was nineteen seventeen? I feel like that was every bit of two hours, right? Uh, yeah, it felt like that at least. Let's see. It felt it felt like one fifty-nine. So yeah, just about <laughs> one fifty-nine. Yeah. Are you out of your oh, mind? I thought you'd been one hundred fifty-nine minutes. Gotcha. No. An hour fifty-nine. Yeah, right there too. Russ, you never saw 1917 outside of the uh, time we went to go see <laughs> Underwater, and they showed the first yeah, 20 saw minutes. The, saw the beginning twice. Showed the best part of the movie. Yeah, I've, I've actually seen more about the making of 
I think I watched that 15 minute trailer. I talked about it on here on YouTube. Well, Russ, I'll tell you that's more interesting than the actual movie. I believe it. And um, uh, yesterday when I was playing D and D, I got into an argument with Dan about the uh, first of the second trilogy of Star Wars and how the Phantom Menace was really about technology and not uh, a cohesive narrative. And people were not into that, but I, uh, I think I used 1917 as a, uh, uh, point in my argument. Wait, what's the, what's, what was your argument about? Well, he was Menace? just, he was just talking about how, Oh God, without getting too deep. Yeah. I can't he believe was saying, I'm placating. This. There's problems <laughs> with sending two Jedis into the conflict that they were entering, like which the movie opens to. Because it's really a bureaucratic problem, and it's like you send in Secret Service, and it's like, oh shit! Because essentially, what happens is the dudes there are like, "Fuck, they're onto us! Kill yeah. them!" And then they're like, "You idiots! We're not going to be able to kill them. We've just lost everything." But Dan was like, "Dude, you wouldn't send Jedi's out there. You would send regular people because you didn't know anything was going on." And then, yeah. When I think of Phantom Menace, I think of two things. Oh no! <laughs> what do you think? Jar Jar and and uh. I don't know. Pod racing. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that is and, the first And one. Greg Proops. Okay. Yeah. No, Um, it was an argument that had everybody there on their phone. Just like, oh, God. We do it. You know, it wasn't even really an argument. We were just talking about narrative styling. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, it's, again. A and movie. Darth Maul. Darth uh, Maul. It's a movie about uh, navigating a Republic Senate. And uh, coming up with the reasoning for having a standing army when the Buddhists running the government say that that's a terrible idea. I mean, people, they're, they're a little too hard on Phantom Menace. Oh, I like it. I mean, I can't. I, don't you think? I like it a lot. Darth Maul is pretty great. I don't know. I feel like it's not a great film I, as I'm far as films go. Sure. But it, the package, when you, when you learn to love the whole package, it's impressive. Plus, uh, it spawned one of the greatest video games of my life. <laughs> Oh, pod racing? It's great. Yeah. Yeah, I never really played it. Really? No. Oh man, that was that was my uh that was the game on 64, baby. I, yeah, I heard they had very race. little to go off of when making that game. They had they had very little to go off of? Yeah, I think they showed them like part of one of the pod racing scenes and they were like, make a whole game out of this. It was like yeah. way before the movie came out. Well, oh, not yeah, way before. Because, right. Because um I I the game came out before the movie, right? Maybe. I feel like it did because when I saw the movie, I was looking from char- for characters in the game in the movie. And one of my favorite characters in the game, Gasgano, is barely in the movie. <laughs> I go deep with that game, baby. That was a I love that game. Yeah, there's a um vintage RPG. Here, here's another segment of mine where I talk about other podcasts. Vintage RPG is a 30-minute uh, episode uh, podcast about uh, tabletop games. And they go, Sign me up. They go into um, how a lot of the Star Wars lore was built out of the tabletop game that was created. There's a, there's a company that is really loving with the IP. So they did a Ninja Turtle tabletop game. Ooh. And they did a Ghostbusters tabletop game. Okay. Where the, the concept of the Ghostbusters one is that you're a franchise. So you open it up and you have a contract from the head or the organization saying, congratulations on joining the team. Here's how you hire people. Um, here's what we look for. Here's a, here's a contract that you have to sign saying that you could die on the job. Like it's so like loving to the films. Yeah. They did one for star Wars. And when, um, when they were making, I believe it was a return of the Jedi. They're like, we need more 
We need more stuff. We need more lore. So they went to them and they had created a ton of shit off the movies. So basically, if they would have made the pod racing game, you would have saw all the characters from the film come to life in a way that bummed you out because you went backwards. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this guy had a big role in this game. And you look and you're like, oh, he was on screen for two minutes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Guys, God was barely in the movie. <laughs> yeah, dude. That's that, my guy. That Ghostbusters tabletop, it comes with the guide that they find in the beginning of the Ghostbusters. It has all the instructions for uh, how to categorize the ghosts, but they detail it out. It's so it's, well, it's like um, with Mad Max Fury Road, all those fucking crazy characters, like Guitar Guy has got a whole backstory. Yeah. And you really need somebody that gives a shit. Yeah. But that all that's super cool, though. Like, I, I certainly appreciate that and, part of it. Well, and it's and essentially it. fan fiction. Yeah. <laughs> Which, but yeah. I'm fine with that. You know, it's it's yeah. it's uh, I mean, actors do that all the time with backstory. Oh yeah, you know, and anytime that you know we're privy to that information, I uh, I eat it up like so, a hot dog without chili. So, um, originally, mm-hmm. I I imagined that we would lead in here with uh, clips. One of them, you know, it doesn't play well. It's a uh, video that I wanted to tell Randy about, and that came up in the interview. Um, Randy, did you see the MIT video of Nixon that came out? No. Okay, so uh, Richard Nixon. Right? Richard Nixon. He was a president. Uh, not Devin Nixon, a former guest <laughs> yeah. on our show. Uh, so the, the what I believe it was the Apollo Eleven moon landing is the one where uh, we actually made it to the moon. Yes, or yeah. as um, well, many wow. would believe that, yeah, Kubrick faked it. Anyway, I believe that, bro. Whether that, whether or not that's true doesn't matter because uh, President Nixon at the time was given two speeches. One that he read, which was you know the triumphant victory of America. Conquering the moon. The other was in case that um, everybody had died on the uh, huh. on the mission, and it's it's there. You can read it online. Anyway, MIT did a deep fake video of Nixon reading that speech uh, on TV. The Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Now I'm gonna go. I'm, I'm gonna throw it up on the blog because it's actually kind of hard to find the link. It's not living on YouTube or Vimeo, and um. The, the reason I'm talking about it is because most deep fakes that we watch, like Shaq and Precious or uh, Home Stallone, they use a lot of imagery from other films, and it's just cutting together. It, it's a complicated program, but it's really not. You know instantly something's wrong. Here. Home Stallone's very good. It is very good. <laughs> and this one is completely original. So it's actually a face capture that somebody's talking and they have a voice actor come in to sound like Nixon. It's all original footage. How scary is this? Oh, it's, it's terrifying. It took them a long time. And if you go on YouTube, you can find, um, they did got 9,000 views. Well, they did. This is only a, uh, trailer. The, the full video is like six minutes long, but it's fucking convincing. Originally I was going to play it on here, but I I don't think it, it doesn't work too well for radio, but I did have another one. Are you going to let me play it for Randy? Sure. All right, Randy, I'm just going to play this through and then I, I want your feedback on it after. Are you ready? Sure. Are you yeah, buckled up? All right, here we go. Dear Joshua Saunders, Josh, or as I and my team know you, Gothic King Cobra. I have always said I know the best people. Everyone who knows me knows I know the best people. They always say that about me, the best people. 
When the time comes, I will do more than this. But for now, I would like to personally thank you for your help with ISIS. Your magic has done much to help us win our war against the terrorists. It is great, tremendous. I know you are very busy in your fight, but it would be for the best of the nation if you were to use your magic to help me in my reelection. Sincerely, Donald J. Trump, the 45th president of the United States of America. <laughs> right there. All the trolls talking shit about my magic can eat it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Randy, you should take a look at this letterhead that someone. So his. So we're talking about Gothic King Cobra, who we bring up um, pretty often on this show, and there was an ongoing bit about him uh, helping Trump defeat ISIS. Trump hmm. never was in the equation here. Okay, just uh, he'd constantly talk about his magic. He he does chi balls on camera. They're amazing. He conjures up balls of color in, in between his hands. He He's practiced Tai Chi for many a year on his couch. And uh, he would always say, you know, I, I cast spells on ISIS and we finally killed their general. And the letterhead they sent him is, those, oh, it looks horrible. It's That's clearly just aerial font. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. Subreddit loves uh, Gothic King Cobra. And there's a community on there. A dude had been posting that he was drafting a letter. Um, you know, he was helping out Donald Trump to write a letter to Gothic King Cobra. And the craft is beautiful. There's a fake signature. There's a, there's a big seal. And the real magic is when he's reading it, you know who that's supposed to be. Randy, I'm sending it to you right now. Like, just the way that they phrase it. Uh, uh, I have always said I know the best people. Everyone who knows me knows that I know the best people. They always say like it's yeah. it's so well made and the font is huge because it's, so King Cobra has two lazy eyes and one of them is riddled with cataracts. Jesus. So the fact that he's able to read through it yeah. that way is it's beautiful. Randy, I had to share that with you. That's pretty good. It just gives me more of a reason to not like either Gothic <laughs> King Cobra or Donald Trump. <laughs> That is true. Well, I mean, <laughs> you didn't do your job, Russ. You better hope that his magic is not real. If Otherwise, he was doing close-up magic, I'd be down. Dude. You, d you down with close-up magic? Yeah, I'm down. I'm down with magic in the, like, tricks sense, not like uh, the magic that he's doing. Yeah, it's true. I get it. You're just worried he's going to get him reelected. All right, you got another clip? Oh, dude, this is our new thing. We're a clip show. Bada-bing, bada-boom. No, I don't. You know, you love this clip. That's why. Okay, I'm I do love this clip, but we're, we, I feel like the nation's already talked about this and we're done with it. We're, this is quarantine, man. We're all at home alone. We think everybody knows everything. We're living in our bubbles. We got to share this with Randy. We know Randy hasn't heard this. All right. That is the only reason why I'm entertaining this is because Randy's not here in the room with us and we don't get to experience <laughs> life with him. So, all right, Randy, yes. here, here's number two no context clip. Are you ready? Sure. All right. I think I think this one's queued up. Right. He may know this. Oh, we'll, we'll find out. We'll find out. Five seconds on the clock. All right, Bruce, let's go. If Captain Hook. Oh, what? Hold on. Was moonlighting as a handyman. He might replace his hook with what tool? A hammer. Try again. 
A penis. Tell me the age a kid is too old to sleep with a teddy. What the he said? <laughs> <laughs> that was NFL Hall of Famer Bruce Smith. <laughs> On Family Feud, where they had uh, the NFL Players Association uh, go up against Hall of Famers. And uh, Bruce Smith, in a fit of panic, after saying hammer, he could not think of wrench. He could not think of screwdriver. He went straight to penis. And Steve Harvey just powered through. And then it was like, what the fuck did he just say? And then the show stops for a solid few minutes and they have to recollect and get back in the game. No, I'll, I'll tell you, if you haven't watched Family Feud on YouTube, you're missing out. Well, I, also, you get this kind of vision of, you know, I always thought these live studio audience shows were really tight. Like it's we got to block. We got to make this shit. We got to go. They're in there for hours, dude. And you could tell by the time this happens in the video. The camera pulls out and you see the, the other contestants and they're kind of like, come on, man. Like, so from what I know about uh, hearing comedians who have done warm up jobs for te television shows, uh -huh. it's brutal. It's a brutal shoot. It's, uh, game shows may be a little bit different um, opposed to like a late night show like with uh, Conan or Tonight Show or something like that. But I mean, they've got warm ups for like The View. Someone has to go out there and, you know... It's anywhere from uh, view. God, yeah, it's anywhere from like doing material and crowd work. Usually, you're just trying to keep the audience engaged. Yeah, or some people just go and they, you know, have a fucking t-shirt cannon and oh. just try to keep everything uh, riled up that way. Like Bob Saget got his start in doing audience warm up, and then got fired because he was too blue. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like Brody Stevens was was uh, great. Uh, in that his energy fit in that and, uh, Jimmy Pardo did it for Conan. It was very good. So yeah, it's a, it's an, you have to keep the energy up, but, but I think family feud from what I can tell has a, uh, Steve Harvey's one of the best. Right? Steve Harvey. He's almost like he's a fucking reverend up there or something with like his church. That, that, that's it's, his whole vibe. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, dude, if we were going to family feud, we're not going to watch like, you know what the hundreds I'm pretty, I'm pretty people sure they serving. shoot that uh, in Atlanta, dude. It sounds fucking fun. It sounds like it would be a great five hour. <laughs> Steve Harvey's one outing. Yeah. So, Randy, had you heard that before? I hadn't. But while we're on the the subject of game shows, R.I.P. to uh, Regis Philbin. I know we lost him yesterday. Eighty-eight. Eighty-eight. Tried to Regis Philbin him saying how old he was. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Yeah, I mean, I he fought, he's on my list of I thought he was dead already. <laughs> I mean, he's he's been out of the game for God, a decade. All right. Well, you know? let me let me go ahead and um, do the audience a favor right now, because I know they're all wondering, was it the vid? It was not the vid. The vid didn't get him. He's 88. 88 did it. I don't know. I bet the still mark him off if nah, the vid took him. Nah, nah, nah. Come on, get that thirty thousand uh, dollar check. Is that what it is? I don't know. That's what Elon Musk said. But what if you die of Corona, you get thirty grand? No, what? <laughs> he was just talking about like hospitals and they're incentivized to you know say everybody's dying of the vid. I don't. I'm gonna tell you right now. I don't think Elon Musk is a human. <laughs> he's a African American. What evidence? So he, watch out. What evidence do we have that he's a real human? I don't know. 
he's definitely transhuman. I mean, he named his son Bleeblop Aeon Blee Flux Seven or whatever. Yeah, you are. forgot the dash in the uh, pound sign <laughs> and that mechanical noise. Just <laughs> yeah, but I still like him. Okay, but the Cybertruck looks fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate that thing. Yeah, I, I wish I had some of uh, his now stock. His, his tunnel under downtown LA is pretty tight. Have you seen that? No. That's cool. There's footage? Yeah. He goes with Jay Leno in the Cybertruck in the tunnel. Really? Yeah, that is pretty cool. You want (laughs) Jay Leno's dumbass show where he's driving cars and shit? Yeah, it's pretty good. I Okay, no, no. Oh, my God, Randy. What about Seinfeld's show where he's driving cars and shit? Yeah, but they're not driving through fucking uh, THX Did you see the latest comedian he had on? Christoph Waltz? Really? The great comedian <laughs> Christoph Voss. I didn't know they were, even had new episodes. Yeah, that show's big. Yeah, I don't like it. Well, it's kind of like, it's kind of garbage because it's on Netflix, right? Yeah. It's clearly YouTube uh, content. Do you though. know where it started, though? YouTube? No. Crackle. Really? Oh, I used yeah. To Crackle. It started on Crackle. How'd they lose him? <laughs> Netflix was like, hey. Yeah, but I mean, if you Crackle... Crackle you got to lay down sure, on the curb and I'm be sure like, Crackle maybe got a, a bit of a payday. They're like, hey, we got you in this weak ass contract. You're going to have to buy us out of it. I haven't thought about Crackle in a very long time. Had it on the Roku. Had it in a glass pipe. <laughs> Jesus. God. <laughs> Randy, edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are we done with Cliparama? I could do more. I like doing the clips. All right. Why don't you clip your hair? Fuck, I need to. <laughs> I mean, Randy, fuck. you've you've uh, have you given yourself a haircut lately, Randolph? Uh, yeah, I think I shaved it last weekend. How'd so, that go? I'm thinking like every two weeks, I'm just gonna keep it at at the one razor guard. Oh, oh, oh man, militant Randy over That's there. Right. <laughs> Got to stay clean, <laughs> baby. If you develop head lice, you're gonna be able to see it. So just be careful. Oh, I've had terrible dandruff my entire life, and I still get some with yeah zero hair it's still happening uh not as bad but some days it it'll uh it'll appear yeah well i mean um on the topic of lice they don't like dandruff so there you go you win randy (laughs) also i do need to fucking cut my hair especially now oh god did we cut it randy did you see uh some clippers you see the video i didn't i saw a screenshot of it but i haven't watched it yet terrible you're looking puzzled at me this past thursday i did a live stream for three hours yeah yeah and oh man on camera i'll tell you clark instantly grilled me when i got home okay he's like you're so fucking uncomfortable on camera and i'm like you know it's true i do i know i'm telling you no because i'm I, not wrong no, I'm because <laughs> i am i am proud of you in the growth that you've had on oh. this show I get, you know, and now I am proud of you because uh, let's be honest, I take credit for some of that. It's fine. You, uh, you deserve it. But you need you need that more presence on camera. Russell, it, the, the live stream <laughs> literally opens and you are everyone is sitting up with proper <laughs> posture except for you. You look like your spine has turned into liquid. Now, now let me tell you, you're just like slunk back and then you're so, like. I I am a uh, I love to um, consume literature, and in Ender's Game, 
the defensive position was laying down and leading with your legs. That way, when I'm, so I was laying down. Translate. No. So here's the thing. Chris and David are great. And uh, again, this is with uh, barely functional gamers. If you remember, I'm not even going to try and pretend to know what episodes Chris came in here. Well, I can tell you right now, Chris (laughs) was responsible (laughs) for us me tooing an agent on the phone. Oh, Maya, yeah, Maya, we love you. I know you're still listening. Um, yeah. So those two. I'll tell you, we've worked with a lot of people. And I mean, the mutants I dig up out here in the Bay Area. I love all of you. And I'm talking to you, Clark. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, these motherfuckers, they wanted to meet. They gave me a glass of wine, me and Oksana. And then they're like, we want to do a show. And I was like, okay. I was like, God, how many times have, have we talked? Like, even in this room, Clark, how many times have we talked about it? Let alone other people. And you just kind of fall in this rut where it's like, okay, it's kind of fun to talk about what if. Dude, the next week. These motherfuckers had developed, um, I don't know if I want to say developed software, but they had figured out how to have three cameras hooked up, mics in two different rooms. They had a mobile device um, switch over. They had triggers on this little pet. They were just going all out. The next week, they had curtains up because I, I straight up told them, I hate, I hate their background. We talked about this. Yeah. They had all the posters. I'm like, so busy and dumb. They put up red curtains. I was like, holy shit, they mean it. Now, I'm telling you, this is two weeks in. I'm just like, oh, God, next week I'm going to be here, like, doing it. Because these guys aren't fucking around. And we did it. And I'll tell you, for all the production they got, and they take it very seriously, they don't know how to fucking cue people when they're starting this shit. So they started, I'm like laying down on the goddamn couch. Also, that couch (laughs) is not, that it does not promote good posture. That is a couch that wants to eat your ass and put you to sleep. This, that's an excuse, Russell. (laughs) When you're in front of the camera, you've got to be camera ready. All right. We'll, we'll see. Because I'm going to drag you out there eventually. That's not going to happen. It's fun. It, it, it'll be for your movie. I'll do it if Randy does it. There's no way Randy will do it. Randy, would you play a video game for a live stream? No. <laughs> what if it was a dating sim? I'm still out. Oh. <laughs> what if it was The Sims? I'm back in. <laughs> what if it was pod racing? Randy, did you ever play The Sims? I did, yeah, back in the day. I never did. Really? I feel like I missed out. My mom played online Sims. Online Sims? Yeah. What about Second Life? No. No? I think you had to be a computer savvy to play that. Uh, Jim from The Office played The Second Life. (laughs) He was a sports writer in Philadelphia who could fly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, To bring it back to Devin Nixon, the band he was in, Crash Faster, they featured female vocals from a girl who put on a concert to like 15,000 people. On Second Life. Whoa. She was Second Life Damn. famous. They did an MTV episode of her. Of uh, True Life or whatever. That's crazy. Yeah. Isn't that fucking weird? Is it on YouTube? I'm sure it is. All right. Let's, next week's clip. Yeah. <laughs> Just look up um, Second Life uh, female vocalist or so. I don't know. Google it. Also Google uh, Elon Musk uh, LA Tunnel. Oh. It's pretty cool. <laughs> anyway, yeah. That, the barely functional gamers thing. That collaboration they're doing with us at the Overlook is on Twitch. If you want to watch three hours of. Me, Oxon, and Chris drinking and playing horror games. You know, honestly, I was weird about it, but we've created a way to do an individual experience with the horror game, which is really the only time they work, and have like four people there to kind of enjoy. I don't know. Check it out. It's weird. I'll put a link up. Um, also, before we pivot into film, yeah, uh, Randy gave me a podcast recommendation. Oh my God, no. I, dude, I'm just sending people away from us left and right. <laughs> uh, you got I, Thirty I che- seconds. Thirty. Okay, I checked out Radio Rentals, Randy. Yeah. And, um, 
God damn it. it it's so produced and I, I scary music is so fucking effective. The yep. show, it's essentially Rain Wilson is doing a Crypt Keeper. And yeah, and he's kind of hosting. He's supposed to be, uh, he paints the, the picture of being in a uh, rental store. And it's supposed to be like you come in and he gives you a tape. But the tape is an audio tape, even though it's supposed to be a VHS. And it's somebody telling a personal story that was creepy. I would say it's the equivalent of a cute creepypasta. Yeah. Like the most you might get is kind of like, ooh, that's eerie. But I'll tell you, when I, I want some light lifting at the end of the day after I listen to like political bullshit all day and shit. And <laughs> it's a brisk half hour. Yep. And it's not bad. Yeah. There's a, well, first of all, I, uh, glad you dig it. And I specifically didn't say it was Rain Wilson because I felt like that would probably turn you off of it. I know. Smart call. I know. And, uh, but there uh, are some greatly disappointed Russell. (laughs) There are like two stories specifically. I won't like ruin it for anybody, but two that like really tripped me out that are like not really explainable at all. I think it was like the end of episode two was, was one of them. Episode two. Do you know the other one? I'll check them out. Uh, The, the one story I'm talking about is about the, the couple in New York, the cuckold, the cuckold, the couple. Oh, Um, do they cuckle? (laughs) No. Uh, oh, the couple well, in maybe. Of course they're in New York. But is that the one where they put on a movie and weird shit happens? No, that was the other one I was talking about, though. Um, this oh, one okay. is the one where uh, he potentially sees his girlfriend twice. Oh, yep. Don't say it. Do you know what episode that is? Yeah, I believe it's episode two. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm, if, I, I doubt you've ever read a creepypasta, but it's kind of, it's very similar. Where yeah. it kind of centers around just a creepy idea, and they really like pound that home. At least the good ones. Yeah, I've never read any, but I'm definitely familiar with it. And yeah, that seems up the same alley. Yeah, the only my my major critique about radio rentals, man, they are commercial heavy. And I I know whenever you're that produced, it's like yeah, y'all are generating revenue. Yeah, but dude, they got. St- They'll have like a little eerie story, and before you can really like even live in it, it jumps right into like a two minute mail champ. Hey, play Champions (laughs) of Everwar. This this game is great. It'll take you to the seat of the action, and it's one of those things where it's like a guy reading a script. Yeah, it's a man. Well, just wait until next week when Elon Musk hears this, and we're going to get that Cybertruck ad. So we're going to get shut down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're going to get canceled. All right, Randy Michael Stat. Yes, sir. You've got some movies for us to talk about, and uh, I think that we got, we're bringing back the segment. We are. So let's go ahead and start it with Randy's B of the Week. All right. This one's going to be a short one because uh, I feel it's better to know less about this movie if you uh, plan on seeing it. Uh, it's called Good Manners. It's from 2017. It is a Brazilian film directed by Marco Dutra and Juliana Rojas. And it is a art housey drama slash horror movie slash fantasy movie. Um, there is this single pregnant woman who hires a nanny to come take care of her kid once it is born, but she takes her on early uh, to kind of just like take care of her around the house since she is single and very pregnant. and. They start developing a relationship, and one night, the nanny 
uh, sees something very strange that the uh, the pregnant woman is doing, and it changes their relationship and kind of changes the movie quite a bit from there. Uh, it it kind of feels like two films blended into one, but I think they they blend it really well. Um, kind of felt like the way. Well, I guess neither of you have seen it yet, but kind of felt like the way that uh, Baccarat kind of did uh, genre and kind of like an art housey thing together, and like it just like works super well. I saw half of Baccarat. Thank you very much. Yeah, true. Um, but yeah, it's a. <laughs> uh, it's really, really good. I was very surprised by it. Even the um, like photo on movie is kind of a spoiler, which is a bummer. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's a uh, it's interesting. It's it's pretty cool. I would uh, I'd recommend it if any of the listeners out there have a movie script subscription. Now, Randy, when you texted me and Clark about it, you did the right thing, and you're like, everything is a spoiler. He spike lead. Yeah, don't fuck with. And I just pulled it up when we were uh, doing our brief pre-production and I was looking and you're right. The poster fucking ruins it. So just write the recommendation. Yeah. There's still like enough surprise and like intrigue, even knowing a little bit, but if you could know like absolutely nothing, like if you saw it at a film fest or something and we're just like, Oh, just this title sounds cool. And you went, I would, uh, I would think that'd be like the best way to see it. Now, Randy, this runtime uh, is not brisk. No. It's a little over two, I think. Ooh. 2.15, Randy. Yeah. Yuma. Fantasy horror musical. It's great. Musical? Is that a spoiler? Uh, I, I don't think so, no. <laughs> is that inaccurate? Maybe. Oh, wait, let's do, let's do the, your segment. What's the segment? Oh, up here. There We're doing a segment inside of the segment. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's totally a uh, okay. As a ruiner, I, okay, I, I don't feel, do it. I feel like it's a spoiler, Randy. But the plot keywords. Yeah, the plot keywords are just so good. Oh no, you're totally you're right. It is a total it's, spoiler. Yeah, because you just spoiled the movie for me. Oh well, that's <laughs> why I tried to hide it. The plot keywords are great. Maybe we'll revisit them and next also week. Maybe something I'm going to talk about in mine. But I think you might yeah. watch the movie now. Yeah, maybe. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I did subscribe to movie for a brief. That, Randy, that's like a ten ninety nine subscription. Is it? Yeah, I don't know. I Whoa. I should pay more attention to what I pay for the things I oh, subscribe Mr. to. Money bags. Away. <laughs> I'm bad with finances, is what I'm saying. How many bitcoins you got? I have like point eight one bitcoin. Zero. He's doing very well. Wait, hold on. What was it, Randy? I have like point eight. So almost You're a full. There. That's what. What's what's the what's the bitcoin at right now, Beb? Uh, I don't know. It's been a couple of days. It's been steady at like nine thousand ish. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get me a Bitcoin. <laughs> you got know. ten G's. You seem like you would be anti cryptocurrency. Nah, I'm anti our government, bro. That's that. why I'm down no, with the crypto. Fair. All right, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Randy, what else you got for us, baby? Yeah, the other one uh, is another Criterion Blu-ray that I've been going through. Uh, from my purchases from Barnes and Nobles, who are not a sponsor. <laughs> okay. uh, it's called Ride the Pink Horse. It's from 1947. It is directed by uh, actor Robert Montgomery. Uh, this is one of like four or five movies I think he directed. Oh, shit. Uh, it is a film noir that takes place in rural New Mexico. So 
it's kind of unusual in like the noir genre, which uh, is usually in like cities and more like urban areas. Uh, it takes place in the fictional city of San Pablo, but uh, it's pretty much Santa Fe, New Mexico. Gotcha. And it's uh, about this amateur con man who um, tries to blackmail a Mexican gangster um, because he is potentially responsible for killing one of his friends. Um, and it's, uh, it's very good. It's uh, kind of a fish-out-of-water story. This guy kind of gets in over his head. The last 45 minutes of the movie, he's kind of uh, incapacitated cool. <laughs> most of the time. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's really good. Um, yeah, it takes place during this, uh, festival during, uh, September in New Mexico, uh, called Fiesta, where is, there is this burning of the Zoza Borbra, Zozobra, excuse me, (laughs) which is a thing they do at this festival, uh, every year. So they burn this like very large marionette. The Wicker Um, Man? Kind of. Yeah. So it, uh, apparently the marionette symbolizes like hardships and despair of the previous year. So this is like a thing that they do every year. Dude, that's straight up burning man is what you're describing. Pretty much. Yeah. But it takes place in this, uh, yeah, small New Mexico town. Um, yeah. And it's just a, a really good film noir, uh, a little unusual, like I said, just because of the, the setting, but it's uh, really good. David Robson recommended it to me. And then when I saw the Blu-ray available, at uh, my local Barnes and Nobles, I picked it up and very surprised by it. Damn, it beautiful looked, ladies in this. Yeah, it looks rad. Yeah, you kind of like uh, befriends a couple pe- couple of the like native people in this town, and it's a uh, yeah, it's an Whoa, interesting please. story. <laughs> There's a carousel, cool shots on there. That's where ride the pink horse comes from. Oh, oh okay. not, it's not a euphemism for vagina. No. Okay. <laughs> you were so proud of that. So it much. isn't on the Criterion channel yet, so unfortunately you have to get the Blu-ray. Um, but maybe it'll be on there soon. Randy, you, uh, you like the carousel? Did you ever ride that as a kid? Yeah, I've ridden uh, many a carousel in my day. There was one at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk yes, that yes. I remember very specifically. Now, Randy, when you get on the carousel, I think there's two choices that I'm, I'm pro. You either get on the horse, get on the animal, or you stand and you hold the pole. What I don't understand is the fucking benches that are on the carousel, and oh. then you just sit in those. Who is that for? Why is that there? I think that's for parents. <laughs> you, stand, you stand by your kid who's on the animal. That's what... The, Maybe, uh, yeah. The I benches, don't know. I think that's for the least it's for, adventurous. Uh, smoking the weed. Grandparents, smoking maybe. Smoking the weed on the carousel. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Randy's down. Uh, ride the pink horse. All right. All right. So it's it's, it's only on uh, Blu-ray? Uh, currently, yeah. Okay. It's not streaming on Criterion? No. No, he just said no. no. It may be streaming somewhere else. I mean, How I checked like two weeks ago and it wasn't, so I'm assuming it's still not. But, yeah. Oh, do they just like rotate their selection, like their library? Like it's not always? Um, They have weird... like some staples for sure that are like almost always there, but they do have stuff that comes and or leaves every month as well. So they got all the Michael Bay stuff up there year round. <laughs> yeah, Armageddon. <laughs> all right. Randy, you want to you wanna start talking about... Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up, but uh, I know you watched it as well. Yeah. As we both watched 
the newest release in the genre of horror slash thriller. Russell's favorite subgenre. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, from first-time director David Franco, brother of James, from Palo Alto, California. The Rental. Um, I've heard about this for a while that, you know, Franco's making a horror movie and, uh, you know, uh, fill in whatever commentary you'd like to on that end. Well, with Swanberg, right? Swanberg yeah. wrote The Rental. Um, so here's what I'll say. And uh, again, I, I would, I, um, overall, I enjoyed The Rental. I will say that the first two acts of The Rental, I would probably give a two to two and a half. Okay. They're just, it wasn't anything new. And even with the third act, the third act was so much fun for me. <laughs> and I think maybe because it finally, we finally got some sort of payoff and uh, we got away from the, this love, uh, I would say triangle, but it's more of a love square of where we are. Yeah. Um, and this, and I just, the the tension with this group and every, it just didn't do it for me. I didn't really care for the characters. Randy, am I alone in this? No, I mean, I thought they were all uh, acted very well, but yeah, speaking of the love triangle slash square, uh, nothing that happens really had an effect because from the very opening scene, you pretty much knew what was happening. A hundred And it kind of like yeah. pretended that you didn't know that a little bit. Okay, good. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you were uh, echoing my thoughts here because it, yeah. it's set up from the opening shot. Yeah, that that there is definitely a chemistry there between. Um, Russell, can you scroll down for her name? Mina. Uh, between Mina, who is played by uh, Shelia Vand, and Dan Stevens, uh, of course from uh, The Visitor slash Downton Abbey. Um, whom I'm a big fan of Dan Stevens. I, I, I just, I, I like his vibe. And um, Alison Brie is also in this. And then Jeremy Allen White, who is great in the uh, Showtime show Shameless, um, who you may recognize him from. Um, and he's, everyone, as you said, Randy, everyone's solid with the acting. But again, I just, there wasn't enough for me to carry this whole relationship thing down for all three acts of the movie. And yeah. thank God by the time we got to three, we had some, we got some new things popping. For sure. Um, and uh, <laughs> also Toby Huss shows up who's, I mean, yeah. who doesn't love Toby Huss whenever he shows up and he, he does a great job. The third act man was so much fun for me. I, I would give the third act alone a four to four and a half. And again, I, we're not doing anything differently, but the movie turns into a home invasion. And as Russell, as you know, I'm a big fan of the okay. home invasion movie, <laughs> I, I, which is weird because, you know, slashers are lower there for me, but, um, and more exposure mm -hmm. has maybe raised a slight, I, I have more respect for the slasher genre, but I love the home invasion and I really like the angle that they took with this and, and stylistically. I really like the reveal of, of what they did um, with us finding everything out. I really enjoyed the last few moments of this movie. And also, I will say that the credit sequences, one of my favorite <laughs> credits, credit sequences I've seen in quite some time. I, uh, that, that saved the movie for me, and I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I really liked the third act. 
Yeah, the right. credit credit sequence was was very good. Um, yeah, I don't know. I th- I think I liked it less than you. I think I just didn't care by the time the third act was <laughs> happening. Um, I get that, but yeah. I yeah, for whatever reason, and there was a certain time, and again, um, you know, there was a very overt music cue to let you know what's happening. Yeah. Um, but when it happened, I I verbally went, "Oh man!" <laughs> I was just so excited that we were having some action here, and um, yeah, I I I thought the third third act was really fun, and um, it, it helped me understand the shaping of the the first two acts, and um, but again, I you know the the script was probably the weakest part for me, and you know, well, that's our boys. That's the one question I got for you: Are we doing the mumble gore thing here, or to a degree? Now I will say. Russ, there is a lot of um, CCT footage. Okay, in this, that's rad. And it partly, I, I like I told Randy when I finished watching, I was like, I wish the whole thing was found footage. Yeah. yeah. Now, obviously, you know, coming, I know, you know, um, but I understand. And uh, look, Swanberg is definitely from that camp. He he knows yeah, for sure. He, he absolutely knows. So, um. Yeah, I I really thought um, this was a fun a fun little movie. Uh, you know, the uh, Franco I thought did a great job, and uh, I I definitely will. I, I I thought he handled this very well. So is it better than the Beach House? I gave up on the Beach House. I I, I Man, it turned into well, it's a it, similar premise, right? It's no. like two couples in a house. Bam, yeah, similar vibe, vibe, I guess, a little bit. The Beach House turns into Lovecraft bullshit. Now. Nah. Yeah, I can't. I can't do I that. I like the beach house. Same. The beach house. I feel like you're talking shit on Chris right now. They're all, well, I, the I, will, <laughs> I will. I will. No. I no. will say this, though. Like, you know, they both go to the rental house and they both do drugs. Oh, tight. <laughs> and, oh, the uh, rental is the house. Yes. Now, yeah. the, the damn poster and like just the rental. I instantly think VHS uh, nostalgia shit right off the bat. Oh, especially with Franco. I don't know why. I just thought it was going to be. This is a Airbnb situation. I, it didn't even occur to me. I wouldn't refer to that as a rental. I don't know why. Like, I, yeah. Don't watch the trailer. Just watch this blind. All right. And yeah. I think you should definitely watch it. I, I think there's fun here. Oh, I, I want to. I, I think those two working together on a horror project, I'd be. In no world would I miss it. All right. So, uh, Randy, did you have anything else on uh, the rental? No. All right. Uh, I also want to talk about a movie that um, came out not too long ago. I believe it came out earlier this year. Um, and I've heard a lot about it, and I, I haven't had a chance to see it. It's on Hulu. And this is another film that really, the, the third act was the strongest part of the movie and really tied everything together. Um, referring to VH Yes from Jack Henry Robbins. Uh, VH Yes follows a um, bizarre, it's a bizarre retro comedy shot entirely on VHS and beta tape. Follows a 12 year old Ralph as he accidentally records home videos and his favorite late night shows over his parents' wedding tape. So it's a very interesting premise. And again, they shot the whole thing on VHS and beta, Max. And, um, you know, obviously the, the aesthetic is constant the whole way through. And I will say that for the first 30 minutes of this movie, and again, uh, the movie's listed at one hour and 12 minutes long. 
the credits roll 66 minutes into the movie. So oh. you got an hour and six minute of film. Okay. <laughs> Sign me up for more of those. The first 30 to 40 minutes, it's all, there's nothing really tying every, anything together. Mm-hmm. You just get snippets of weird sketches from uh, this and that and the other. Then you learn, uh, as I was looking into uh, the history of, of this production and the director, Jack Henry Robbins, and his previous work, is that a lot of segments in VHS were previous things that he had already done. Oh, okay. And he he put that into the narrative, and it works beautifully. Like, there's a softcore porn mm-hmm. that is uh, an ongoing thing that's uh, quite funny. And there's also um, our guy, uh, Mark Prost. Is that his name? Uh, yeah, Port uh, from What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, oh yeah. He plays an antique roadshow guy. He's great. Thomas Lennon uh, from Reno 911. He plays a QVC guy. Um, so you've got you've got bits of like that uh, rolling into this very loose narrative uh, with this twelve year old who's got this camera and um, his parents and he's recording these late night shows um, over the wedding tape and the third act really ties that back together and it turns into it gets real trippy in the third act man and so it sort of breaks the found footage narrative yeah because it goes into this whole you know meta situation and it's sort of a dreamscape and or don't ruin nothing. it really worked yeah kind of i'll it, tell you i hate it, the damn title yes but <laughs> yeah that's the part i hate i'm telling you man the third act was beautiful and i it, it what are you me, the fucking third act boy today i know but like the third act was great it really did um it, it made me shed a little tear and that's always oh, a beautiful no. thing there was a dog commercial. I know, right? <laughs> but uh, I, I really enjoyed VHS and uh, it being, you know, a 76-minute runtime. I mean, come on. Do it up on Hulu. And it's on Hulu. Okay. Yeah, check it out. All right. My third film is, you know, been doing this show. Going on four years now. Next month, gentlemen, will be our fourth year. Did you know that? I thought we were already into it. I don't know. No. We started in August. Did you look it up? August of 2016, we started this show. And I've been told, not 2011, you jerk off. (laughs) It's fine. Thank you. Um, So, uh, you know, Russell, and uh, to his, you know, he's right. I don't talk about enough horror movies, and I haven't seen some of the the headliners, canon, Mm -hmm. and primarily because of my disdain. For the vampire. And this <laughs> it's so dumb. This certainly <laughs> helped. Because again, Russell, I want to be very oh, I want to be yeah. very clear. Yeah. I don't I did not mean that vampire movies are bad. I just find vampires to be lame most of the time. And I agree with you. I don't think they're very interesting. Yeah. They're they're most of the time very horny. And I just think that's uncouth. Yeah. Randy, am I right? Randy's dead. He hung up. Randy, where are you at? (laughs) (laughs) Wait. Okay. Hold on. No. Yeah, we're going. He walked away. Randy walked away. Oh, back in a sec. Randy left. See, 
That's the first time I do this all the time because I'm waiting to see if Randy would just leave during the show. Yeah, and this is the first time we've done it because I do. <laughs> this is the first. No, remember, time. he's got the power to edit it out though, so just keep going. Oh no, I. He better not edit this out. Okay. Randy, do not edit this out while he's you're not editing. there. I know, but he 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 listens. Um. So I will say <laughs> that yeah. So I think that I just don't find vampires to be too terribly interesting. However, Fright Night's a whole hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, it's good. It's so much fun. Uh, I I liked uh, who plays the vampire, Chris Sarandon. Oh yeah, he's great. Yep. I mean, this is a suave motherfucker. Yeah. Cool as the day is long, and um, he's got so okay. So Russell, help me because my my familiarity and notice how I use that word mm-hmm. vampires. Is 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 sort of limited. And it's only based on what I've have seen. So, the the guy who lives with uh, the vampire. Well, you is, watch what we do in the shadows. Yes, they so, play on that trope. So, so but the, so the guy who lives there, and uh, according to all the other people in the neighborhood, that is his live-in handyman. Yeah, a la Al Adamson, maybe. Uh, God, <laughs> <laughs> um, even though this predates Al Adamson's murder about a decade, I think. Anyway. <laughs> Um, they were telling the future. That is his familiar? Yeah. Okay. Or ghoul, like they call him in a... Well, it's familiar in what we do in the shadows, I think, in other... See, there's my problem with vampires. When yeah. I was younger, I saw Fright Night and the Lost Boys, and I went, why are the rules different? Werewolves always had the same shit going on. It's shoot them with a silver bullet. Yeah. And it's like, why do vampires change in every fucking movie? And I hated how in every movie they're like, this is real life. You know, uh, uh, sunlight doesn't kill a vampire here. And it's like, I'd fucking roll my eyes. So I hated him for a long time, too. Because he, can we talk about, I mean. This you're, you're not going to ruin this movie okay, for anybody. Yeah, 30. 85. Yeah. You're was born. Um, because the familiar turns and he's like a zombie man. He's undead, yeah. kind of. Right? Yeah. And then also the, um, this is a teen sex comedy. This is. I, I did not think that that this, because I had seen the 2011 remake. Yeah. And for what it was, I thought it was fine. But after watching this, I was like, oh, they missed the point on a lot of stuff. What do you, oh, you Tonally, mean? Tonally, it's just very different. And I, I think that, look, I love Colin Farrell. <laughs> but it just, I just don't think it was right. No. And Dude, okay, so Fright Night to me has always been a like coming of age adolescent where it's kind of like, so it's, it's almost kind of like a harsh narrative on a young horror fan because you get a dude, right? And uh, he's watching horror movies, having a good time, but he's also got a girlfriend, which is not normal. Yeah. And Amy's into him. Yeah. And he does not notice her. He, she's just not on the radar. Yeah. Until she becomes a victim in a horror movie. And then he's all about her. Well, yeah, because uh, the vampire starts cucking. Yeah, well, on top of that. It's on the dance floor. What a scene that was. But it's got. Oh, boy, it, I got harder than a. Dude. Oh, quarter it, on the. You're, you're talking about when they're in the club? When they're in the yes. club? That's So that's why I brought it up. That's a great scene. But when he sees they lock eyes from across oh, the yeah. room. Dude, it's so good. So good. And I, I got to mention, it, it's fucking rear window. Mm-hmm. This movie's about being a voyeur. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, the room that you're sitting in and it, it, is unimportant. Look, but man, you hit the ground running 
with this movie. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, it's very much Rear Window. And uh, there's no bones about it. Uh, what do you think of Evil Ed? Evil Ed. It, Come right, on, well, I it love took, Evil Ed. It took some time. Either you'll die slowly. It took oh, some time so for me slowly. to get used to I Evil Ed. I fucking love him. I lo- by the end, I loved him. I was sad when he was gone. <laughs> now, that's the other thing. So, Evil Ed. Also, welcome back, Randy. Uh, Randy, yep. where'd you call? I called you out and no one answered. <laughs> oh, I just had to pee. I been I drank too much coffee this morning and now I'm drinking a brewski. Did it did it smell like coffee when you peed? No, not really. It was it was a uh, I also stayed hydrated too, so it was pretty clear. Did you dump the two liter bottle out? Yeah. <laughs> I just imagine you in the Randy, closet. Randy, what's your brewski? Uh it's a East Brother Pilsner. Wow. Okay, what are you, Hulk Hogan? <laughs> From Richmond, California. Oh, hey now. Um, all right. So yeah, Evil Ed, it took me some time to get my bearings with him. Because he's a very annoying character, but yeah. by the end he was uh yeah, I I like Well, here, here's the hierarchy. Because, because because here's why. Because there was character development with him. Yeah. He wasn't a throwaway fun guy character. Well, they're not the normal best friends either. No, they are. No, no, no. They were frenemies at best. Yeah. And so, and he, so, uh, Charlie had to go see Evil Ed for advice because Evil Ed is essentially the, the weirdo of the school. And Charlie (laughs) knew that he was living next door to a vampire and he knew that Evil Ed knew all that weird shit and he's grasping at straws. He needs something. And he's like, Evil Ed is the only thing I have. So he goes to Evil Ed and he's like, uh, you you need garlic and you need a crucifix and all this stuff. And uh, so Evil Ed partners with him and Amy. And then they also partner with Roddy McDowell. Oh, the who best. does such a great job in this. Peter Vincent is so cool. Yes. I, <laughs> so Peter Vincent, Roddy McDowell plays Peter Vincent, um, who is a... Uh, well, it was is an actor and uh, he's a horror host. He's a horror yeah. host, and he he had made some movies as a vampire killer, and then sort of pivoted that into doing a, a late night TV show thing yeah. um, as a vampire hunter. And so then uh, Charlie goes to him and tries <laughs> to get advice from him, and then they they actually pay him off, and he helps out uh, trying to uh, figure out the situation uh, with the vampire next door. <sighs> Evil Ed gets turned into a vampire and that that really that's where it turned with evil led for me oh yeah where you understand of of why people want to become a vampire and that that sequence of um you know the uh what's the vampire's name i'm terrible with fucking characters names the vampire yeah chris jerry Jerry so, Dandridge. Jerry Dandridge, yeah, which is, I mean, come on. That's a, <laughs> you're not going to get a better vampire name than Jerry Dandridge. Uh, but in the alley where he turns him into a vampire, great scene. And then, you know, he's just this off-the-wall, crazy vampire. And then he gets fucked up by um, Roddy McDowell. And then they have another scene where they're in Charlie's home. And then he turns into a fucking werewolf. Yeah. In a Oh my god! It's so cool looking. Oh man! Yeah, it, yeah, definitely. You get um, American Werewolf uh, in London vibes. I'm I'm glad you're excited about it. That it's my so Tom I Holland. Loved it. This was great. Tom Holland. I don't think is a great director, but I think he really killed it with Child's Play and Fright Night. And I think there's some really good like like he's definitely a 
fan of Hitchcock. Yeah. And and he really applies it well in both those movies. And um Randy Randy, if you haven't seen Fright Night, check it out. It 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 really <laughs> So again, I wrote oh god, what was it, like a 15-page essay on uh Disturbia. And I kept I remember <laughs> when I was doing that for my film class, I was like and it was one frame of Disturbia. Yeah. I was just kept thinking, I was like, man, Fright Night kills this movie. Fright Night's awesome. Because you could they were both doing like rear window, but like horror movie. Yeah. And like playing with the voyeur and being a film fan, but not appreciating your own life until you have like some weird adventure. Also, the shit that happens to Amy is kind of fucked up. Oh, yeah. It's not gentle. Also, and we should say. Um, so Jerry Dandridge, played by Chris Sarandon, is uh, in his solid 40s. Oh, yeah. Uh, Amy is, uh, let's call it 17, 16 yeah. years old. Teen. Yeah. And uh, there's definitely some activities. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> I like how you put that. Also, uh, he didn't fuck around as a vampire. Jerry no. comes after him, and he's going to kill him. Oh, yeah. And it's it's terrifying. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's such a well-made movie. It's, yeah, it's my favorite vampire film. Oh, yeah, we got it up there. I got Tom Holland to sign the uh, Laserdisc. Uh, you also got Tom Holland to sign the DVD copy, the Blu-ray copy I watched oh, last night. Oh, my God. Oh, you watched, you watched the Twilight Time Blu-ray? Yeah. Do you know how much I paid for that Blu-ray? No. D- d- take I a was guess. very <laughs> careful with it. Take a guess. I was very, I put it right back in the Just thing. take a guess. What's so special about this Blu-ray? Uh, Twilight Times. They just don't do a lot of releases, and they do a really good job with them. All right. How many? They instantly become collector items. How big was the run? Oh, God. 2,000? 1,000, maybe? All right, I'm going to say 80 bucks. Oh, definitely 100, at least. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? It, I'll tell you. It was this kind of thing. So me and Terrell, you know. We're uh, the Blu-ray collectors out here in our uh, pack of mutants in the Bay Area. That sounds like a show on Crackle. <laughs> I had to kind of, I had to throw him off the scent of it. Yeah, because we were up there. Oh, and Tom playing, Holland, you playing dirty so games. Tom Holland showed up for briefly, and he had it. He had them on his website, but they were a hell of expensive. He had like one copy, and the signed one cost more. And it's like I don't really care about signatures anymore. Yeah. But I was like, it's right there. And I had cash in my pocket. And this is why I give Oksana all my it money. It was burning. And I was just like, I should get it. And then we walked by the table again. And I was like, oh, there's one left. And Troll's like, oh, I think I'm going to get it. I'm like, no, nah, he's got multiple. You could get it whenever. It's cheaper online. And he was just like, you sure? And I was like, I got to go buy this thing Dirty right now. Pool. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty pool from Fisher. No, you know, there's so many times where having Terrell there. It's great because when I when I want to pull the trigger on something, it's like you buy it and then I'll feel good for us. Yeah. And this time I was like, it's mine. You don't appreciate this movie. I yeah, need man. it. Friday night was great. How how did it look? The Blu-ray it looked beautiful. All right, beautiful. Good. Good. Oh, you man, you never watch watched it. that copy? I didn't watch that copy. Oh man. I <laughs> know. Uh, I I got that on Laserdisc, VHS, and I think there's a different uh look, DVD look, or look something. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it's one of my favorite. Anyway, I'm glad I have no problem spending that amount of time. On you talking about Fright Night. Now we'll get you to watch the, Light Boy, the Lost Boys and you'll uh, talk see, shit about it. See, that uh, I've got no interest in that. That just mm. seems like a teeny cool guy shit yeah. that I just don't care for. It's really, it's not cool guy shit. It's, it's good, but it's completely different. Fright Night is more of a film fan movie, which feels weird even saying that because it's such 80s pop culture. You maybe watch The Outsiders too? Dude, Lost Boys is tight though. I'll tell you. 
All right, it's, it's my turn to talk about shit. Yeah, bro. What do I have? You talked about Fright Night. I don't want to talk about anything. Um, Damn, Tom Holland's old. This past Friday, oh yeah, he's old. He's he's chill, dude. All right, we'll get him. I didn't talk show. to him much. I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> they talk to him too much. Um, fuck. This Friday was uh All Stars finale of Drag Race. Uh, congratulations to uh, Shea Coulee. Uh, she clearly deserved it. Anyway, uh, we ended early. It was weird. My mom came over. My sister came. It was a thing. Mm-hmm. We watched it. They left, and I was drunk. <laughs> it was like it was like what one? I'm like fuck. It's early. What am I going to do? So yeah, Randy, one is early. It was for early. These animals on Friday. So I opened up a Guinness, <laughs> and I was sitting down. And I was like, oh, we got HBO. Not go. What's the new one? HBO Max. We got HBO Max, and uh. A good friend of the show, uh, Robbie Smith, who always recommends the fucking the fire. This fool told me about uh, he sent me a screenshot of what looked like uh, Fire and Ice, the animated film. Mm-hmm. But it it also kind of looked it had like an adult swim vibe to it. And he was like, dude, have you seen this? I was like, no. And uh, it's called uh, how do you it's Gennady Tartovsky's Primal. It is a animated show on uh, HBO. What is it? Max. HBO Max. That uh, from my um, drunken stupor at 1 a.m. on Friday night uh, was rad. It opens up with a. Um, he's a little low tech kind of barbarian for me, but uh, he's out there in the jungle. He's fishing and uh, he's walking somewhere and a T-Rex comes by and eats what looks like a woman and two children. Mm. Uh, lo and behold, I, I'm thinking it was his family, and uh, we kick off an adventure from there. I was I again. I tapped out after this one episode, and I vaguely remember the ending. But uh, this was the one thing I kind of watched this week, uh, just because it had been so busy, and it's fucking cool. I mean, look at the art here. I don't know. Is this something you would watch? Did you ever see Cor- There's no I'll, way. I'll, I'll, look, it's a television show. It's a, what's that episode? 22 minutes? 22. Come on. What is it? Korgoth? <laughs> Do you guys know what I'm... Yeah, Korgoth of no, Barbaria. Yes, Randy and I clearly know Korgoth of <laughs> Barbaria. Well, I mean, now it's kind of a deep cut. Um, it was a pilot that Adult Swim did that never went anywhere. This shit was great. It had a bunch of people from like Ren and Stimpy and SpongeBob, a lot of a strong animation team. And it was post-apocalyptic, kind of like, um, oh, God, I can't, I, I want to say Thundercats, but that's wrong. It doesn't matter. It was a post-apocalyptic fantasy thing. Love it. One episode. It lives on YouTube now. It's only, it was only Fucking, one episode? Yeah, it didn't oh, it get picked up. Oh, jeez. It's a bummer. And it's something I revisit all the time. Okay. Anyway, that's, yeah, whatever. Uh, the one thing I did make time to watch, exactly before recording this episode, was uh, the third feature in the um uh vinegar syndrome box set of the cursed collection of amityville and uh <laughs> so l- just for a brief recap we had the uh the lamp item which uh was the made for tv movie from the ori- original writer of amityville then we went into the clock direct to a video film directed by uh the director of H- hellraiser 2 Love those films. So I, 
instantly. This one, the third one, I'm like, okay, it's got to be downhill from By here. By the way, yesterday I was going to watch Hellraiser, but you don't have Hellraiser. A DVD. Mm-hmm. Did you look through the H's? I went, I, Oksana looked on the application. Oh, maybe I do. You have Hellraiser 2. Now, um, there are two letters in the DVD. There are two shelves that I didn't load yet. Okay. So maybe. But I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not. Um, it, it is on Prime. <sighs> so. Format gets tricky. Like, because when you want to buy a whole franchise, you don't want it to be parsed out. Like, oh, I got. I got Nightmare on Elm Street one on VHS and two on Laserdisc, and yeah, you you want them all cohesive. And I just in America there hadn't been a good release up until a couple years ago. Oh, okay. There's one in Europe that came in a puzzle box, and oh. it was all of them, and it had an Amoeba for like three hundred dollars or something forever. That's very. Hard. But it was like PAL, and yeah. I mean, are you big making excuses? Fan of no. that whole franchise. Um, I actually am. That franchise is kind of, is not a shit show in a cohesive way. After part four, I think they just start jumping around. So one of them's like a noir story in New York, where it's like a guy's on the case didn't, of a murder. But then they go straight. Didn't it go the video route? Yeah, but most of them did. Yeah. I mean, other than like you know Friday the Thirteenth, which again last night in that argument I had with Dan, I brought up how uh, uh, Empire Strikes Back lost. It's box office to uh, Friday the 13th Part 2, I think. Crushed it. Because, you know, culture remembers Empire as the better film, but at the time, nobody gave a fuck. Oh, it Randy, was not popular. Randy, did you know, uh, did you tell Randy that you got uh, Star Wars The Christmas Special as part of the no, Stinky Tuna? No, why did I tell Randy? <laughs> <laughs> we, we need to watch that. Yeah, I got Stinky Tuna, dude. All right. All right, yeah. yeah. I got I to uh, buy some things off them. They got some good stuff. Yeah, it's um. If you're worried about the bootleg angle, they're legit. They look great, and they actually come kind of like packed with more love than I don't know, like a factory release. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty cool. Anyway, I'll get through this. Um, yeah. So the last uh, Amityville movie I talked about was Amityville 1992, which was the dark and moody one uh, that uh, tormented Jasadi. When he came over and saw the little part. Um, this time, anyway, it's Amityville, a new generation in 1993. Now, I did literally just watch this movie before we started recording. It's because I had no time this week. And my notes are fucked. I think I'm going to take a picture of them this time because it looks like uh, something out of the number 23. Where I've just written all over this piece of paper. <laughs> um, so I'll try and make this cohesive. In the first uh, Amityville film, um, The Evil Awakens, we, we dealt with a family that was missing its father figure. In the second film, um, 1992, we dealt with a family who was missing its mother figure. Now in this one, we've completely moved out of the suburbs. We are in a, uh, a it looks kind of like a, um, what was that place that burnt down in Oakland, Randy? Was it called the Ghost Ship? Uh, yeah, I was getting okay. confused with ghost town, which is a brewery, but yeah, no. Yeah. So you know how, um, in the East Bay, there were a ton of like warehouses that had rented out sections of it. Kind of like it was, uh, apartments. Have you ever yeah. been in one of those? Uh, yeah, I've been to shows in a couple of them. I hadn't been to that one, but yeah, it's very similar to like New York city, like loft living exactly. that are like supposed to be for artists and stuff, but people just live there. Yeah. And um, uh, my original DM, 
uh, he used to live in one and it was the weirdest thing. He had a loft in a corner and he lived next to somebody who was a glass blower. They had a Ooh. trapeze out <laughs> I in watch, front. I watch glass blowing videos on YouTube. Oh, they're crazy. Yeah, they're cool. Yeah. Um, you know, dudes were making pots. Anyway, we're, we're dealing with a, <laughs> we're dealing with a, um, single man. Oh, he's not single. He's dating somebody, but he's not married. My There's brother. no children. So the nuclear family thing was, it caught me off guard in the beginning. And he's living um, right outside of Skid Row in a uh, artist loft. And he himself is a photographer. And one of the characters who lives down the way is a um, painter. And, and a thief. <laughs> the movie opens up with a shot of a rat in the street. The camera, it, it, what are we, Martin Scorsese? A, a, appears to be on a crane. Sick deported. And it comes up and we see a, uh, a, uh, how, how should I put it? A person who is, they're homeless. <laughs> okay. I was trying to think of like, uh, domestically challenged. I think it's, I think it's domestically challenged. Okay. I think that is a word that has been used. So we get a mean looking nineties homeless guy okay. pushing a cart and he produces a crowbar and smashes out a car window. And reaches in and pulls out an umbrella and keep, continues his way down the street. Cut to the interior of a loft where uh, there's a pretty blonde and our dashing lead, uh, Ross Partridge. Do you know him? I guess he's in Stranger Things. Click on him. All right, I'll click on him for you. Um, he's also in, uh, he was the dad in, oh God, was it Monster Squad? I can't remember. Uh, on the back of the, the blu-ray they make a big deal out of him mainly because of stranger things but because i don't fuck with that show I, i'm not sure who he is he doesn't look familiar to it's you randy's favorite show i know uh <laughs> known for stranger things that's all it says whatever Ma married to somebody i don't know either anyway um they have this conversation that felt so now bay area where she's like my god that man just broke into a car and stole an umbrella <laughs> She's like, what is this town coming to? And when you learn that the dude is a photographer and they're talking about this gallery he's going to put on, it's like, what are we doing? It's such a departure from Amityville. Anyway, cut to them in a um, cafe and they're talking about this gallery. They're trying to sell somebody on the idea. And our, our photographer is uh, looking across the street where there's just a street full of tents, homeless encampment. It's like, God damn, this is like right now. And he's watching this one particular guy get out of a tent. And he takes a picture of him. And uh, there's really no dialogue to uh, lead an audience on what's happening right here. He's, he's toned out of the conversation at the table. Anyway, when he's leaving, he walks across the street. And he, appro he approaches the man he took a picture of. And he's just like, hey, man. <laughs> and he's like, uh, you just looking to rent? Like he makes some joke about rent. And... uh. He's like, no, I, um, I took a picture of you, and I think I could sell it. And the bum's just like, well, congratulations. I'm glad you're making some money. And he's like, well, you know, just seeing as I could potentially profit, I just thought, you know, we both should. So he gives him a $10 bill. And I'm like, oh, that feels kind of shitty. <laughs> like, we're all fucking 20. Yeah. Right? So he hands him a $10 bill, and the guy's just kind of like, hey, hold on. So he stops, he turns around. And this, this very dirty gentleman who's sitting on the curb comes out with this fucking Oculus little brother kind of in the awkward phase mirror. 
that has this goofy little face uh, dead uh, on the top of the middle of the frame. And it's this immaculately clean mirror. And he's just like, here, I'm going to give this to you. And he's like, oh, okay. So he takes this fucking mirror. And at this point, we haven't seen one exterior shot of a house that looked like it had predator eyes. We haven't, it's not Amityville in any way. And uh, I don't want to spend a bunch of time on this. Uh, there's, a, there's a murder. So his neighbor, the painter, she's in a bad relationship and it wakes him up in the middle of the night. And uh, this guy's screaming outside her door. He's just like, hey, let me in, bitch. Let me the fuck in. And he walks out there and he's like, hey, man, why don't you, why don't you buzz off? He's like, oh, fuck you. And he leaves. So the girl comes out and she's like, oh, thank you. Anyway, uh, at the end of the first act, this guy comes back and she's not home. So he walks in. He just busts into her house. He's drunk. He's got his little bottle. He's like, where are you? What the fuck's going on? I saw this part. Of okay. That. And then he walks up to one of her paintings and starts slashing it with a knife. He's like, bitch. And then he looks at the mirror. But what, what does he call her? Um, I don't know. A, 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 I think a, a paint, a paint brush and bitch. Yeah, a was, paint bump and bitch or something. Yeah. It's pretty good. And I'll tell you, I sh- I'm not doing this movie service in the way that the sound, the audio design, um, is it was created by the same guy who did the music for 1992 Amityville Horror, and who, when I looked into him, he had done a shitload of movies, like 67. But he also worked on Hellraiser. And it's definitely got that orchestral like vibe to it, okay. which feels like legit, like uh, original and cool. And it's shot by a dude who, uh, whose last name I'll try and pronounce. Uh, he's Academy Award winner, Wally Fister. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So Wally Fister shot it. Who, um, what else did he shoot? Like Inception and yep. The Dark Knight. Like he's legit. He shot this movie. And so everything is very 90s noir. Like we're in Skinamax zone right here. Yeah. Right? You got that vibe. Yeah. Heavy shadows. Everything's pretty clear though. Brandy, I watched 10 minutes of this movie. I think there's two sex things. <laughs> you you watched <laughs> yeah. both of them. And there's that 90s kind of like there's a topless girl. They're doing missionary. The blankets are covering her from the waist down. Yeah. Bada bing, bada boom. Everybody's sweaty. There's a lot of blue noir light. Um, Enigma's playing in the background. Yeah. So, so dude cuts up her painting and goes, you brush pushing bitch or whatever he says. He looks in the mirror and he sees himself. Now me and Randy, we love the idea of mirrors in movies. You get a lot of those interesting, uh, duality themes. It shows, uh, characters who are, they're being, um, introspective. It doesn't show vampires. It doesn't show vampires because you know. They're they're aware of what they are. Indeed. They're not. There's no emotional conflict in a vampire. That's true. And so we see this dude, but in the image, he's cutting himself. He's got cuts all over his face, and he's just like, "What's going on?" And this guy, he's doing drunk, scared to the next level. Like he's over the top. Anyway, he gets cut up and he dies. And after he dies, the mirror shows the Amityville house. Dun, dun, and it's like, okay, this feels like it could have been a movie that had nothing to do it's with Amityville. Crowbar. Except it's really not. Okay. Now, I don't want to ruin a bunch here. This movie, it's definitely not as exciting as um, and, uh, The Evil Awakens or 1992. But it, it's, it's a third act movie. And I'm telling you, I'll, I'll ruin a little bit of the plot just to uh, get people interested. What ends up happening, so earlier you went to the bathroom. 
And I was talking about how this movie doesn't have a, uh, it doesn't do the nuclear family thing because we're dealing with a guy and his girlfriend. There's no children involved. But after this moment, his girlfriend starts talking to him about like, you also saw this part where she's giving him shit for not having a values and commitment. She's like, you're the least committed fool I've ever met or something. Hit close to home. Continue. Right. And he's just like, Oh, I just, I don't know. And then she's like, well, come on. Don't you want a family? He's like, well, I didn't even know my dad. And she's like, Oh my God, I don't know anything about you. Like she's horrified by this thought. Yeah. The movie starts looking in on what happens when the nuclear family's not there. It's really weird. And this guy's got a lot of uh, issues wrapped around, like not knowing his, his father who turns out now I'm going to spoil something just in hopes that people will watch this movie. So remember the character I mentioned earlier, the bum he took a picture of Mm -hmm. that was his dad. Oh, it was his dad. Now, do do you want to know who his dad was? Now his dad dies at this point. Mm -hmm. And, um, he, he's starting to suspect this mirror when uh, we get to this moment in the film and he goes to a gravesite. He pays to have this, the, the bum buried and he goes and there's the tombstone. It's the man's name. And it says loving uh, leaves behind his loving son. And it's our main character's name. And he's just like, what the fuck? Who did that? Like, that's not my dad. So he starts looking into it. Now he goes to a mental institution that uh, is operated by one person. It's very rundown. I'll tell you, there's a lot of politics in this movie. In the cafe scene where he's looking at the bum across the street, there's um, some dialogue. And somebody's like, what scares you? And he's like, well, rent and Republicans. I <laughs> and this is kind of like the bourgeoisie theme of the movie, mm. where it's, it's very like liberal. And they talk a lot about how... Um, uh, was it Reagan let the healthcare mental health go to shit? Yes. So he goes to the mental health ward. Who's apparently run and operated by Lynn Shay only. It's there's a youngish Lynn Shay there. Who went now? A young Lynn Shay dude. She's slinging heat. Well, she's legit too. She's a good actress. Yeah, she Dynamic knows. performance. And she plays the role of a social worker bureaucrat who She's, she's kind of got this Terry Gilliam backdrop of files everywhere. Yeah. And he comes in and he's looking for information. She's like, yeah, yeah. Do you want to check his file? And he's like, no, I, th- what room was he in though? I'd like to look at that. And she goes, of course you all, Ollie, you always come in here. You want to see the room. She's like, you want to know what's in that room? Nothing. He's not in that room anymore. You want to learn about him? You want to learn where you came from? It's all in the files. Nobody ever wants to read the files. And he's just like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then he's like, well, I was just, you know, I wanted to see something. And uh, he gave me a gift. And I mean, and she's like, was it a mirror? And he's like, how'd you know that? She's like, it's because I'm psychic. She's like, no, it's because it's in the files. She's like, I just told you everything's in there. She's like, he killed his family and he could have had a whole house. He could have had all the furniture, but he only took the mirror. And he's like, he killed his family. Turns out his dad is supposed to be the true crime dad from the Amityville horror. Yeah. I was like, whoa, y'all are going crazy. (laughs) So this movie is about the bastard son of the real dude who killed his whole family in the Amityville house, left with the mirror. They don't explain why and gifted it to him when he took a picture of him out coming out of a cafe. And I'll tell you for as, as lame and kind of run of the mill nineties horror, the uh, first two acts are, 
the third act just goes bonkers. So this dude's reevaluating his whole life. He's angry that he didn't have like a traditional family. He starts having images of his dad, like coming out to a Thanksgiving dinner. And there is a graphic scene where he blows away everybody with a shotgun and there are children there. And I'll dude, it's crazy. I was just like, uh, this episode is all about the third act. Third act, baby. There's one. There's one thing in the art gallery at the end that I have to talk about. One of the other artists makes his his um addition to the gallery is a uh, lazy chair. It's you know it's a chair. Lazy boy. You, you, lazy boy. You sit down in it, and the other part of it is a TV. Right. So it's it's like this very uh modern interpretation of you know uh the decline of America. On the TV is a shotgun. And it's set up to a timer. And it's also set up to a camera. So when you sit down in the chair, the shotgun is leveled at your head. There's a ticking of a timer and a camera pointing at you, which projects your face on the TV. Some saw shit. It is a, it is a harsh critique of the violent culture of uh, television in America. And he's like, the beautiful thing about this is that timer. The only thing I know about it, it's going off before the year 2000. He's like, so yeah. So but his his art gallery uh, uh contribution is him sitting in that chair. He gets up at one point to go do something, and some some like hell of obnoxious motherfucker sits down and he's like, <laughs> and he's like, Will you get the fuck out of that chair? And he's like, Why? It ain't even loaded. And he's just looking at him, and there's this beautiful cut of the guy looking at the shotgun, looking at his face on the TV, and then he just like he gets up and leaves and it, I don't, it's so good. I don't know. It's a third act movie. Um, this box set has not failed me yet. And, Oh, I should mention, um, how many more you got one more. That's it. <gasps> David Naughton is in it. He's, uh, the lead in American werewolf in London. Yes. He is a fucking doofus in this movie. He plays the uh, landlord for our main character. And he ends up hooking up with the, uh, the painter lady yeah. next door. That's one of the sex scenes you walked into. That's that. Okay. Dude. That makes more. Cause I, I saw that guy. I was like, he looks familiar. Dave, dude, it's awkward. <laughs> but if you ever wanted to watch it, it's, I don't know. It's fucking good. Let me see. Yeah, let he me got, see. he got doughy. He, he looks doofy. Yeah. Like, I don't, I mean, I like him. He's, he's got a face that I want to root for, but I'd also enjoy if somebody punched him. Um, did you also mention a, a Terry O'Quinn? I did not. Yeah, Randy, t- we got a Terry O'Quinn in this. Is that my boy from Lost? Yeah. He plays a Detective Clark. Yes, he does. <laughs> they say Clark so often in this movie. <laughs> the Detective Clark, I need you. It was like answering machines and shit. I should pull it for the show. Yeah. Is it, how procedural is this? It's not very. It, it feels like it's kind of doing the um, cool guy, 90s noir, sexy photography, except... It really is. Um, it's really kind of a harsh critique of uh, American culture, and that's the weird thing about these films. I didn't like. I always talk about the nuclear family and ghost stories. Yes, I didn't realize that they're really thought about. Like these films are really thought about this way. Like the, the, there's a lot of um, intelligent application to these themes. And uh, oh, theme that reminds me of something. I wrote down that there was a trope that caught me off guard. Oh, we go to the morgue 
And one of the things, I don't know why every fucking horror movie does this. Every mortician is eating. I've, I've talked about that on the show, yeah. right? In this one, sitting there watching it, you're just like, oh shit, there's no food. Oksana literally, she verbalized it. She was like, well, they're not eating. And then off camera comes some food and the guy starts munching on it. Who writes that? Who thinks they're original when it's like? So here's what I will tell you. From my experience, and I have, uh, I have more extensive knowledge about I believe this it. than most people, <laughs> as my father worked in this industry. Uh, I would never, and my father would never do this because he was a professional at one point in his life. Um, would never eat during that. At least, well, it, the autopsy is a slightly different thing opposed to a mortician with the embalming. Yeah. In the embalming process, uh, have you ever smelt embalming fluid? No. It is a horrible, horrible, lingering, chemically smell that will cling on to everything. <laughs> You're making I it mean, appealing. I mean, it is. It is a very distinct smell um, where it's it's hard to describe. It's just very chemically and uh, it's an unnatural smell that will cling to everything. And it's a smell that I can't really describe to you now, but it's it's etched in my yeah. emotional smelling DNA because my father would always smell like it because it just oh. it just clatches on to everything. So in no universe would I ever think about bringing food into that because it would it just would find its way onto whatever. Well, I mean, narratively, I know what they're doing because it's always when police are there and they're showing the body. And it's also to show, look, I, thematically, it makes a lot of sense because it, what it's showing is that it, there's a disconnect. Yeah, they're there. desensitized. Yes. Yeah. And I, good for you. That doesn't happen. There, there's got to be a different way to do it, though. I mean, in every fucking procedural, yeah. every cop drama, every horror movie. Yeah. They're always eating. And yeah. it's just, I, because I think people need to see that, that I, I think that there needs to be some sort of levity yeah. in whatever form that is, however lazy it is. And, uh, you it's know, just, formulaic as they've, they found it to be. But, um, because it looked that, being a coroner and being in that, like, that's a tough gig. And uh, medical examiners, like, you know, you're looking at grisly shit all day. Yeah, And, and, there, I, and there definitely is. Uh, look, uh, we haven't talked about this much at all. Uh, Perry Mason on oh, HBO. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great show. I, I'm a big fan of uh, what they're doing with Perry, the Perry Mason story. And um, I, I very much enjoy it. Um, they're... Uh, the medical examiner in, uh, now look to be a medical examiner in 1929 uh -huh. is wild. You still got leeches and shit. Um, yeah. Like it's <laughs> like, like they had a guy's uh, teeth fell out like his whole like retainer and they went to the morgue and got all these old bodies and they were matching up retainers. Were and they eating people's mouths they had in and out in one hand oh, teeth in the other. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. It's definitely a trope, but um, well, also you know the people working in the morgue, they're always goofy too. It's going yeah. like, oh, hey, what's up? Oh, this guy had a bad slip. It's yeah. like what the f there. Uh, you can run into uh, certain type of personalities that again you have to. There has to be a separation. Have you been listening to Rogan lately? Uh, here and there, I listen to. I yeah, I I pick and choose them though. I'm I'm on the train though. But he had somebody on, they were talking about America's death culture. 
and how like we're so sheltered from it. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't Rogan. It was something I was listening to. And I realized like I fall in there hard where it's almost like taboo. It's almost like idolized and, and inspires like a stark amount of fear. Yeah. Well, you think about like the Mexican culture that's greatly celebrated. Well, I just mean like exposure, like where we've moved away from a society where grandma died and she would be in her room for like a week or, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we would do stuff at home with it. And like the wake, I can't look at a dead stay, pet staying up with the body all night. Dude, I can't fuck with that. Thing. Dude, my, my sister, her cat died two years ago on Christmas mm. and uh, in her arms. And I was just like, that was me. I couldn't. Ooh. Yeah. When something's dead, I get like. Yeah, I mean, I it'll think, when it. are the worms coming? That's what I think. It just, it turns into something that I have no experience with and I am repelled from. My first experience was de- with death was a pet turtle that I had. <laughs> I was, uh, I was. What was fi- the name? Robin. Robin the turtle? Robin, because um, I was a big fan of Batman, but Robin was my favorite. Over, oh, I liked okay. Robin We're- over Batman. <laughs> uh, primarily because I think I liked Robin's color scheme more. <laughs> <laughs> and my mother made me a yellow cape and I used to wear that yellow cape everywhere I went. And so you I, and a turtle. <laughs> I loved Robin. And so I named my turtle Robin and, um, I went to go to the little, uh, I don't know. What was the little things you keep a bucket? No, it's a, a well, no, it's a little, you know, you're pantomiming. That's what I'm going off of. Just, it's a little briefcase that you put animals in a kennel. Not a kennel, but for amphibians. It's got a little handle. A terrarium? Kind of a terrarium, okay, I, I guess. I don't have yeah. no idea. Yeah. A- Habitat? Anyway. <laughs> and we, we, had some, uh, we had a little bit of water in there and some grass, and uh, Robin was not moving. And uh, I flipped Robin over, and under the soft side of his belly, just worms. Oh, no. Don't, everywhere. God, don't tell me that. And th- that was the first thing. Oh. I, look, that has been etched in my mind for, oh, for 30 years. <laughs> That was my first experience with death was this pet and worms. So I all I every time I think of death, yeah, I think when are the worms coming? Wow. Yep. Uh, my parents sheltered <laughs> me. I think we flushed a fish once yeah. or twice. I don't know. Yeah, but Sam, did you have a do you have a beta fish? I feel like everyone had one of those. I had uh, goldfish. My mom still has an aquarium. Randy, fish. what pets have you killed? Just they, fish. You didn't have to own them because I know. <laughs> Just fish. Uh, my parents and myself were either allergic to cats or dogs my whole life, and I'm still very allergic to cats, so we didn't have anything fun. I'm emotionally <laughs> allergic to cats, as I hate them. They're assholes. <laughs> I'm a cat guy. All right. Yeah. Um, Amityville, dude, I'm waiting for a fucking dud in this collection, but I'll also tell you, Vinegar Syndrome, man, they 2K transfer on all of them. They're fucking beautiful. So I, I think the box set is gone as it should be. But if you can find this thing. Also, uh, this movie's on um, Tubi, I believe. So they're all available for to free be. somewhere. Yeah. To be or not to be. Oh, boy. Oh, new segment. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We did it. Um, enjoy the episode. Uh, the interview with Ray. Uh, great guy. Uh, again, yeah, man, like we opened up the interview with Ray, just saying that, you know, Russell and I, we, um, you know, searching the, uh, the bowels of Amazon yeah. and we were able to find uh good business. And then 
uh, let us on to all his other shorts, and uh, he tells us about him making good business into a feature film, which we're all greatly anticipating. Uh, so check out all the stuff. Check out his Instagram, Ray Sullivan. You can find him there, and uh, he's got a Vimeo channel, Ray Sullivan, and also YouTube. He's got uh, all of his shorts are available on YouTube as well. Um, so check them out. Uh, a couple of them are on Prime, but it looks like all of them are on YouTube in some form. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I promise when we're done right now recording, I'm going to go down there and on the uh, Overlook Theater, I'm just going to make a post with links of everything we talked about so that the um, Apollo 11 video, I'll throw in um, Ray's YouTube channel and stuff. I'll, I'll fuck it. I'll throw in the Cobra Donald Trump no, <laughs> letter one too, <laughs> in case Randy wants to watch the whole hour and a half video. All right. So enjoy Ray. Enjoy the interview, and we'll see you on next week. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to like properly listen to your stuff before today because I've just been uh, really, really busy. Like it's it's really weird time to be busy, but it, it just is. Uh, the only thing I saw really was um, I, like listened to a bit of one of your latest podcasts, and I watched Clark's stand-up routine on, t- on YouTube. Oh no! <laughs> that was some funny shit, man. That was pretty good. Which uh, the one about uh, Clark? Clark is bright red right now, by the way. Which one? Because I only what? have a few. <laughs> um, what is it? It's like um. Sorry, let me just check here. It was probably the one with just the up, up bit, The kid right? from Up. Yeah. Wrong body. The wrong body. Wrong body. Yeah, it? God, that oh, was... Wait, that was eight years ago. Yeah, eight that years ago. Time. A very long time. A different Clark has emerged from... Uh, a new phoenix has arisen from those ashes, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> one that won't get on camera. That's correct. <laughs> uh, well, Ray, thanks... Uh, Please don't worry about uh, our back catalog. We're familiar with yours, so that uh, that's enough to propel us through this interview. But uh, we're excited to have you, man. Um, we um, so we do this thing where we we haven't done it in a while, Russ. But we used to do real deep dives on Amazon Prime, and Amazon is one of our favorite um, streaming services because we it it's the best user interface, right, Russ? Don't you think it's the best to find stuff? Well, they have the worst filter. So you can get anybody uploading a video on there. And we usually do, I don't know, we find so many indie horror films that nobody, I've never heard anybody talk about and have no community around them. And we just, we like to dissect these films. And every now and then we, we stumble into something that, um, we're shocked is just good. And I think we, we had um, some filmmakers down here uh, visiting f- uh, to present a film at one of our local film fests. And they, we had them over and we were just going through Amazon and we came across a couple of your shorts and we were just, uh, we, were, we were very taken by them. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, man. So uh, it started with uh, with good business because uh, we saw it was like this is an interesting poster. I like I like how this looks. And is what's the runtime like five minutes or so? It's like let's yeah. let's give it a go. And it just blew us out of the water, man. And so we're just cool. uh, super excited to talk to you. Great. Well, you know, um, yeah. I mean, you've you've asked me to come on your show at an interesting time, so I have news about good business, you know, and I can go into that as well. Um, 
Are, are you, I mean, are, are we, have we started the podcast now, or is this just? I just, I just intro? start recording everything now. Okay, okay. Clark tries to keep a very casual uh, flow, so any tangents, tirades, we welcome them. Basically, what we wanted to do today is just find out the um, interesting mind behind this uh, catalog that we've been digging into. I just, just before we started talking, saw your YouTube channel. And I'm like, oh my god, okay. you're like the king of short films. So one of the first things I wanted to ask first, I know there's a lot of pressure. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you would think that YouTube would breed more interesting short filmmakers, but again, when we, we run a film fest and we participate and show a lot of stuff. And mostly what we hear from filmmakers is short films don't help very much unless you're touring with them on, uh, on the road at film fests. And, um, it's really not an avenue people pursue. And then we see your films that have a bunch of creativity, and it's just like, why? When's the feature? <laughs> Where's the feature? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a question I've been asking myself for quite some time, you know. Um. Yeah. Well, where can where should I start? Actually, I think <clears throat> basically probably about ten years ago. Um, I started to kind of move towards doing visual effects work. And like I, I had directed a couple of things for TV and I just thought, yeah, this isn't for me. You know, I was working with someone else. I don't know what I wanted to do, but what I the stuff I had done for TV just didn't work for me. And I don't think anyone thought it was any good either. So I started focusing on visual effects work and, you know, I, I knew I could get better at it and I did. And, um, you know, worked pretty successfully for about two years, um, kind of doing freelance visual effects and kind of realized then that I really wasn't, satisfied with just doing that you know i i did want to um create my own material now what were Uh, we what are we talking about here were you doing like car commercials like little digital mascots or no i was like it was like motion graphics kind of stuff you know for um like i was actually working for the tv station here at the national broadcaster or te and it's kind of like doing shift work but my job also involves um doing lots of like graphics for their you know news channel or their online channels things like that and then um a new company well a, a company branched out into visual effects uh, called uh, windmill lane visual effects and they got to do visual effects for a movie called lockout um that's actually been doing pretty well on netflix during the lockdown <laughs> um and yeah that was kind of that was kind of an opportunity i thought well i could really test my visual effects skills on you know like a big budget uh, kind of hollywood style movie pipeline and yeah i can't say it was a pleasant experience <laughs> but uh you know i worked with just amazing people you know and I kind of realized that there's 
a lot of really talented VFX artists out there. And it's kind of like, is this really what I want to do? Do I really want to stay doing the visual effects stuff forever? Because it kind of like, there was already people older than me doing it who were way better. And there was people younger than me doing it who were almost as good. And I wasn't 100% happy either. So I said, all right, fuck this shit. I'm going to spend, I'm going to spend like a couple of grand on a, a new camera and keep trying to, you know, make a living doing visual effects work, but also like make one short film year uh, until I kind of get good at it. And, you know, what's it now? It's like, yeah, maybe eight years later, uh, it's kind of finally paying off, if that makes sense. Um, it was, yeah, it was kind of, it's, it's this weird thing I actually read about it recently. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect, I think. It's, uh, have you guys ever heard of that? No. no. The Freddy Krueger oh, effect, okay. maybe. I would know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. <laughs> um, but it's uh, basically this theory that um, stupid people don't know they're stupid, you know. And I've been saying that for years, right? Uh, yeah. So I was like watching my films and going, "Geez, this sucks," but I can do better, you know. So I kind of didn't get stuck in our, in in the rut of what I think a lot of filmmakers. Uh, go through is they make something and they think it's fucking amazing and they're like well you know why isn't hollywood calling they're just like expecting amazing things to happen after making one short film that's either complete garbage or bang average you know but when i was looking at my stuff i was like okay this isn't great but bit more work and i can i can do something better so that's why i just kept trying to make more and more stuff and i think what was uh, another important thing right let let me stop you real quick here so i I, it sounds like um it's a constant like with me it's it's a constant battle of delusion and self-awareness it's both of those things where i i constantly think am i a delusional person but I think if I had that yeah. self-awareness that I'm delusional, I'm not delusional. Russell, your thoughts? I, so I looked up the Kruger effect, and it, yeah, it says um, Kruger effect is a cognitive bias in which people with low ability at a task overestimate their ability. Now, this is completely, I, I agree with you, Clark, and I constantly, you, you know, when people say, I'm my own worst critic, I, I always think you're a liar because you're doing something. My, my yeah. me as my own worst critic, I come up with 110 reasons why I shouldn't be doing anything. And like you're saying, everybody's better at it. And I think that honestly, it's a product of being uh, educated and kind of knowing the greats, like the highs and the lows, because I think uh, actually, I know you can't teach creativity. So a lot of the times we become these angry audience members who are watching a movie and like, dude, they fucked this story up. Like, there's a better way to tell this. And how come they don't know it? They're being paid for it. And I think, I think what you're doing is perfect. You're putting out all this great content. It's, you know, it doesn't have a huge budget like the movie you originally worked on. But it's got that creativity. And you build an audience around it 
who kind of propel you up, which is what we're here to do. And I think, you know, a, a lot of people, when they, when they learn a um, craft, they go right to the money man and they're like, give me a job. But these guys are like, who the fuck are you? But now, Ray, we're going to back you up. <laughs> we're going to be, we're going to be your audience. And you're, it, it's going to be like, dude, you got a, a cult following with you, which I don't know. It doesn't sound that cool when I put it that way, but <laughs> yeah. Jesus, I, I'd love to, I mean, any kind of following would, would help at this point. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's nice to hear, you know, because uh, it does feel, I mean, although I can, I can kind of see the numbers on Amazon uh, Prime, like I do check on them every now and again, people all over the world are watching them, but I don't, you know, there's no interaction with them, you know. No, Ray, th that's a hollow, that's a fake connectivity us humans have been like, we've tricked our brains into thinking that we're connecting with people over the internet and we're not. And you know what? I, I apologize. I should have painted a picture for you. In um, so this thing we're doing right now, the Overlook Hour, the Overlook name is based on a pun from The Shining, and you know we watch indie what, horror. What's our, what's the pun? There's no pun. You just I, I know, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but that's so hack that I don't like to admit it. It's fine. Anyway, hack is our brand. Th the whole thing that I've tried to do is I, I bully my friends into coming over, and I have a projector, and we've dedicated a room to be a mock theater. So what we do is I, I own God. I've been I've downloaded a movie app that I can scan my Blu-rays and DVDs into. I've been working on it for two weeks now, and I'm up to sixteen hundred movies. I haven't got to laser discs or VHS. Now here's the thing: I haven't watched probably a thousand of them because <laughs> okay. I'll I'll buy stuff, and the idea is one day the perfect group of people will be here, and we will experience this for the first time together. And right. we kind of do, it's a lazier thing we're doing when we're on Amazon Prime, because it's like, uh, we're all fickle and we don't know what the fuck we want to do tonight. Let's just jump on here and throw in a keyword, because Amazon Prime does have a keyword search, yeah. unlike every other fucking streaming service. And I don't know how we came across good business, but it's one of those things where we're all, it's like, I think there are five of us, um, and we just throw it on because you had cool thumbnail art. Yeah. And we're like, all right, this is either going to be, or actually, we were like, there's no way this is going to be cool. That thing looks way too interesting. It's probably going to be some weak CG. And we get in there and I mean, this is, we're, we're like a mystery science theater crowd. Like when a movie's lacking, we'll entertain each other. And you know, something's good when nobody talks and your film comes on and it, it kind of, it goes by in a blink and nobody says anything. And we all look at each other and we're like, wait, that was cool, right? Like that, that was like. <laughs> Yeah, this was something cool. And then, you know, another great thing about Amazon Prime, again, not a sponsor. I just want to make that clear. Yeah. Fuck you, Bezos. Um, <laughs> down at the bottom. I'm just going to distance myself from I know. <laughs> the views of Russell Fisher yeah, do not necessarily reflect. That's only me. Anyway, at the bottom, it will, you know, um, people who watch this video also watched. And then we got to watch, um, what was the next one we watched? Uh, the thing at 237. Yeah, the thing at 237. Oh, right. Okay, cool. Yeah, and it was I think like... They're the, they're the only two I have on that. Yeah. Yeah, and um, uh, right after that, Clark said, dude, we got to get this guy on the show. And I think that was like a year ago. <laughs> it was uh, back in December. Yeah. Back and, in December. And, uh, That's not that long. <laughs> that is completely... A pandemic in between. For that is sake. true. <laughs> 
which you think would be a good excuse, except that we're locked down at home and have nothing better to do but email talented people. But the world has changed. I know. So, yeah, I, again, we're real people who uh, are out here in San Francisco and we threw on good business randomly and uh, you, you made our night and you turned into, you, you gave us that kind of elite film goer um, uh, ability where people come over and they're like, all right, show us something weird or show us something cool. And uh, you've, you've entered that roster of like, oh, have you seen good business? And people are like, what the hell is that? And yeah, yeah so yeah, I don't know, I'm just trying to say uh, your work is appreciated. Very nice. To hear. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I think you're the first person who's ever said that. Yeah, well, so often we talk to people who, like, um, there's one guy, Nigel Bach. It's not his real name. He made fucking eight found footage movies in a year, all titled <laughs> Bad Ben. So it's like Bad Ben One, Bad Ben Two, uh, Steel Manville Road. I think Ben I, Ben uh, Mandela Effect. Last week we had uh, <laughs> Bad Ben Pandemic. Bad Ben Pandemic. Which I've not seen yet. And, you know, this guy, he claims to be paying his mortgage from his uh, Amazon Prime plays, which I also don't believe. But it's like, you know, uh, he's a retired, what, he was in the Navy? Mm -hmm. He's just a dude who made a one-man movie, and the internet kind of grabbed hold of it. And uh, I think we were the first people to have him on a podcast. And I don't know, I I found that people... uh, they they appreciate the human experience where it's like, you know, it's not just a number you generated. There are people in a room who we sat down and talked about like, dude, what, what do you think this movie, is this like a metaphor? I mean, clearly we're talking about an arms trade when we're talking about good business. Yeah. But it's like, uh, I don't know. Is this guy got some, um, some stinging reviews about our foreign policy. Well, to, to, <laughs> to, tie, to tie your point with, with Nigel is that uh, Nigel and then uh, a lot of other films that we watch, um, it's, um, it's an exploration of the unknown where sometimes it's, it's, nece- it's like with Nigel, he had no film experience prior mm-hmm. to this. And that's yeah. part of the excitement for that is that it's complete unknown. It's a guy who doesn't know how to make a movie and he's making a movie. And that within itself is very exciting. But with your film, it was unknown because we, you know, it's a five minute short that had a cool thumbnail as Russ said, and we didn't know, but within the first seconds, we're like, Oh, <laughs> this guy knows what he's doing. And it's, right. it was very clear to where it's a completely different experience. Is that what you were trying to tie those two points together, Russ? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's, actually kind of we're kind of talking about the kruger effect it's kind of what we're looking for on amazon prime where this dude just doesn't he has no film education whatsoever so he doesn't even he just weighs into the fucking water he's uninhibited and he has no idea what he's doing and we're kind of we i personally like to pick apart the craft like oh he hasn't seen birth of a nation and he doesn't know how to use an establishing shot (laughs) Which, I mean, he seriously didn't as he filmed that whole thing on his well, phone. Well, pretty sure no one's watching Birth of a Nation. I these <laughs> days. Pretty sure that has been stricken yeah. from all the criteria. Of, um, yeah, that is, that is banned now. That's yeah. forbidden film. Anyway, Ray, the thing as horror fans, which, I mean, here at The Overlook, we have uh, varying degrees of horror fan. The thing right. that you accomplished that is fucking hard 
is CG. It's really hard to grab a horror audience with, with digital effects. Yeah. And yeah. until recently, I, I've been watching um, this YouTube channel called Corridor Crew. And it's three dorks who are experts. Okay, yeah, right. So I, I don't, th- I don't like their comedy, but the the way they talk about digital animation, it just gave me a whole new respect for it. Like I didn't even have the language or the, the vocabulary to to really talk about what was happening on screen. Right, because Russ is an he's an old school horror guy, so it's practical effects over visual. Effects. Yeah, eighties. Yeah, yeah, and it, that's what a lot of the community is still like right. uh, echoing. So is is that something you've noticed, Ray? Are you, are you uh, clearly? It seems like you're you're a genre guy. Um. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, I like fun movies, you know. I think that's all I can say. And the films that I enjoy the most and the ones that I watch kind of again and again are, you know, stuff like um, Predator, Terminator, uh, Gremlins, Gremlins 2 specifically. Yeah. Like, They Live, uh, I love. I'm just, like, looking at my Blu-rays. <laughs> like. Uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. I love that. I love the Romero uh, zombie movies, and yeah, I just I just love fun movies. And you know, when I look back at the films that I love the most, and I think some the most popular films, um, they all have you know monsters and creatures and stuff in them. And you know, it's really fucking difficult to do practical effects these days and to do them well like it's actually really expensive and so like part of what i've been trying to do with my shorts was just go you know no one's really doing cgi monsters that can that just look good you know (laughs) they don't have to they don't have to be like perfectly photorealistic and believable but they just have to sit right in the frame you know and they don't have to be there for that long and why aren't more people doing it? So I just, that's kind of what kept me going over the years was just like, you know, looking around and like trying to find other people doing that work. You know, it's hard to find them, you know? And I thought if I keep at this, you know, eventually people are going to notice and I'm, I'm going to get to do a feature using the same thing or, you know, same techniques and same, um, uh, stories that I've been doing on my shorts, you know, and I think the one that I think it was why District Nine, you guys, uh, sure, you know, District Nine, the Neil Blomkamp. I think, yeah, I think w- when I saw that, I was like, I thought Neil Blunk, oh, this guy is just going to go. He, he's a superstar now. Like this is exactly where I should have should be aiming for. You know, that kind of. Um, you know where the the creatures, the visual effects, their their characters, like who are really important in the story, and you don't really think of them as CGI. You know, it's not like like what I don't want to do in a film is have like exploding bridges and you know that huge scale visual effects stuff with like floods and all that kind of shit. Because you know, I think it just I mean, I, my eyes just glaze over when that stuff comes on. You know, like those those huge, big X Men movies where people are floating and there's just buildings collapsing and everything, and just like 
Yeah, like, I mean, it's incredibly complex visual effects work. Hundreds of people working on it. You just, you don't really care, you know? You know, you give me a, give me a monster in a house, you know, or something like that. You know, that's way more interesting to me. Um, you know, smaller stories now, I think, are where it's at. You know, just thinking, like, smaller stories, like, um, like the fly, like the, you know, the Cronenberg one. Man, that film is so fucking good. And it's such a small <laughs> scale, small scale story, you know, and it's got a really fucked up premise and effects and everything in it, you know, like, why aren't those movies around anymore? I think they're going to they're going to start coming back now because um, doing these large scale movies is probably probably not going to be um, uh, too easy to do. Um, you know, with, if the, you know, if the COVID ever goes away, but I know that, you know, there's a lot of issues with um, just getting insurance, you know, to do movies now. Sure. I'm sure that's going to change eventually, but it's, from now on, it's going to be like much more scaled down uh, kind of high concept movies, I think, rather than, um, you know, those huge productions with like extras and everything. And that's, um, oh, you said you were on my YouTube channel, right? Did you see the, the kind of latest stuff that I posted by any chance? I use this, um, new software called Unreal Engine. Did you get Oh no, I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. Okay. Well, um, are you familiar with that show, Star Wars show, The Mandalorian? Yeah, absolutely. Loved it. So do you guys know that they use this kind of new kind of technique where they use LED walls to create the set no no i have not i've only okay. i've only recently been able to identify when real light is on set like just from watching corridor crew uh the appreciation of uh light sources and using like real light to have like reflection off of people's face when like a blue lightsaber comes out i'm only right yeah. there so i please tell me more well, this, um, what they used on um the Mandalorian was this system called Unreal Engine. So it's like a game engine. So probably some of the biggest video games all use this. Um, but basically, they create this kind of 3D environment that's pumped into this LED wall. It's kind of, you know, it's like covered with LED screens. But the LED screens actually light the environment as well. So it's kind of like walking into a green screen room the green screen is already, you know, comped in with the background of, you know, the alien planet or whatever. So they use this system on Mandalorian and it turns out that um, there's a company building one here in Ireland. And I did one of those, you know, those lockdown um, kind of uh, screen screen talks for like screen professionals and they were talking about unreal engine and, and how we're getting this technology so i was like fuck this i better start learning this <laughs> um so i i, I kind of spent two weeks um just doing a deep dive in into the software and i was kind of putting the creatures from good business uh which i call the squids i was putting them into this system to see if i could kind of you know, get something similar to what I'd done on the short because I wasn't expecting like a 
you know, a lowly game engine to be able to produce, you know, good quality stuff. Um, but I was proved wrong, you know, and it's, uh, it's pretty much indistinguishable for me. And um, it's it's kind of like <clears throat> a no-brainer now for me to to use this system in, in, in well, in my next short film, yeah. And I will be making another short film and filming actually in next week. Oh, wow. Um, but uh, use it in the feature version of Good Business, which is called The Squids, um, just coming along quite nicely. Um, where was I? Yeah, yeah. So um, this Unreal Engine, it's like, uh, I think it's another another route to take us away from the, the issues surrounding the COVID crisis um, because you don't need to, like, travel to you know whatever it is where where were they in the mandalorian tatooine or whatever the fuck it was <laughs> you know you don't need to go to morocco to shoot that you just go to a warehouse and um you know go into this led screen environment and it's lit for you and you can like That's you know wild. shoot the sand dunes in the background or you can film during twilight or 12 hours or whatever um it's kind of hard to, to describe it without seeing it though I would recommend checking out the kind of behind the scenes of the Mandalorian because uh, it's kind of mind blowing. And it turns out like I'm, I'm like in a really good position to take advantage of it now. And um, yeah, apparently we have the facilities here in Ireland and I think it's really fucking unusual, but you know, a lot of things seem to be coming together for me at the moment. Um yeah, you're on the you podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's all looking. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, hold yeah. on. So the Unreal thing you're talking about is it? So it's like a green screen, and they have they have all the the images that they're gonna put in the green screen um, picked out already, and they calibrate yeah. the lighting so that when yeah, the actor, like you're basically walking into a, a set that's filled with you know TV screens, you know. Shit. Um, but it looks like it feels it looks and feels like you're in the environment because when you move the camera around which is linked to the engine it moves the environment around so oh. you can um <clears throat> you know you can point the camera up and you'll see the sun or whatever when you move <laughs> around there'll be parallax involved as well um yeah like it's it's sorry it's difficult to i keep telling people about it and i'm like what do you mean you don't know what it is haven't you, haven't you seen <laughs> how much you uh seen the, the youtube behind the scenes now videos? now like, how much would have kubrick loved to have that when he faked this moon landing that'd well, have been great yeah i mean <laughs> nothing russ i guess nothing out of you don't think don't think he faked it he got <laughs> <laughs> well i actually for for the intro of this episode i had um I had the, uh, oh my God, who made it? The, okay, so Richard Nixon had an alternate speech prepared in case none of the Apollo 11 astronauts came back. Sure. So it's one uh, announcing to America that they have all died. I mean, you got to have a B plan. Now, I can't remember who made this, um, but a group had put together a deep fake consisting of no original footage of, Nix of Nixon giving the speech. And they did it as kind of a warning of where uh, technology is going and yeah, just, yeah. just yeah. how it's like, hey, this is completely fake and it's little and it didn't have to look like great quality. And uh, we can do this now. Yeah. In two years, where are we going to be? 
And then that deep face stuff is that's, that stuff is wild, man. Where, where do you fall in all this, Ray? Are you a transhumanist? You ready to get uh, Elon Musk's uh, data jack put in your head? Um, I would say bring it on. <laughs> bring on the the data port jack in my head because um, I do not have enough room for shit to fit in uh, all this shit to fit in my head. So <laughs> need some more RAM. It was like. I think it was like it was like a Homer Simpson quote, you know, if I'd learned something new, it pushes something old out of my brain. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. No, seriously, I, I really feel like that at the moment. So I'm kind of at the limit with all the the visual effects stuff now. Uh, luckily, Unreal wasn't too much of a leap, um, but I I would fear for my future if I was still just a VFX artist because things are changing so fast and. You know, when I, I, I sometimes I, I see experts now in the field talking about visual effects. I'm like, dude, it's like 19. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, and he's like, you know, some 19 year old VFX artist selling his company for $30 million. And I'm going, uh, shit, maybe I'm in the wrong thing, you know, which is, you know, where I'm like, now I'm like, I need to focus on what I'm really good at, which is actually, you know, writing and directing films. You know, I pretty much think that I've done my time now with the visual effects stuff. <laughs> Might be time to get some help on well, that so I can focus on other things. Well, right, for That's sure. Right. I mean, so if you... Yeah. Okay, creativity is clearly something you have that uh, the 19-year-old uh, millionaire mogul can't buy or learn. And now you have experience making your own digital shorts. So I think if you got a team, you already are equipped to write a script that is made to be digital. Like I've heard so many times how people don't know how to shoot for post work digital effects, like lighting. Now, so I was pulling through um, your good business IMDb page. And I saw that the prop of the stick with the human skull is real. Now, uh, one of the squoids was holding that. Can I hear you? Oh, I'm sorry. Did we cut out there? Yeah, you, you were talking about the prop of the stick. Yeah, yeah. so you had the stick with the skull. Now, with the very little I know about shooting digitally for a post. Now, was that a prop to give you kind of lighting cues for the character? Um, was a prop. I think I actually don't know why I chose to make that prop. Now, looking back, well, I um, can tell you, it's cool. It's cool Let alone, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like obviously, like for the story, it was there. I, I don't know why I chose to physically create it as opposed to just have it digitally created. Like in in the end, I just uh, like I three uh, D scanned it. Uh, and the one that's in the film is not real. Like that is a computer generated version of a real prop. Jeez. Um, yeah. So I don't know why the fuck I bothered <laughs> making it in the first place. <laughs> I think I thought, oh yeah, I mean, I can, you know, I think maybe I want I wanted to have a shot where the stick hit the the rock or something like that. So I said, oh, I better do that for real because. It would be stupid just to do a CGI stick, <laughs> but uh, I still did it though. It was pretty stupid, right? <laughs> um, 
Now, but people, yeah, people actually, I remember, yeah, someone, some guy got really obsessed with that on um, on my Instagram and started. He's like, "Please settle a bet for me. Is that stick with a skull? Is that real or CGI? I really need to know." And I think I forgot to respond. <laughs> <laughs> and at the last time I checked back, it was like four other messages saying, "Please respond. Please respond." You know? Oh man, yeah. maybe he's listening now. <laughs> We'll get it. We'll, we'll send him the file. <laughs> yeah. Now, am, now I'm not crazy though. That is a technique um, digital effects artists use when act uh, when um, shooting real people with uh, digital characters, right? Well, like, well, like uh, where they'd have like a you show use, the light reflection. Yeah. 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 Did you use any of that? Like, what kind of techniques did you use? Because you're the digital characters look great. Thank you. Um, okay. So uh, pretty early on, uh, when I was like kind of studying the craft of visual effects, I noticed that it, like, in my opinion, the most uh, realistic looking stuff, uh, was done by using, uh, what's called a HDR, uh, lighting environment. So HDR stands for high dynamic range. And what you do um, with that technique is basically uh, while you're on set or, you know, um, in the area that the, say, the CG character is supposed to be, you take pictures of the environment and you're supposed to take like super wide angle ones from uh, that like 180 degree kind of lens style stuff, flip it around, do another uh, it's called like a bracket of shots so you get like the brightest possible pictures and the darkest possible ones and then <clears throat> in your uh, 3D rendering or sorry 3D render system you tell the computer basically to take all the lighting information from those photographs and use that to light the scene um, and you also get the reflections as well because you're taking the pictures so you're basically sticking your character inside a sphere that's mapped with the environment that was there on the day. So when I was like learning CG and discovered this technique, you know, it's widely used technique. I was like, wow, this looks really, this is, this is perfect. Like I can, I can do stuff that look, looks pretty good now, you know, and that's kind of, that's kind of all it took, like to just to get realistic lighting gets you so far, you know, um, with getting kind of believable results. And I'm like, a, I'm a really terrible animator. I have to admit, <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I am bad at animating. And, you know, just to be clear, like for with animation, like it's just about making a creature or a character move, like just how they move. It's not how they look or how they sit in the environment or, you know, what color they are, what texture they are. It's just about how they move. And I never had any training with that. So that's like the biggest uh, hurdle for me when I'm doing this kind of stuff. And for the squids in good business, I found animating them extremely difficult, you know. Um, and I put like, you know, I think maybe 30 fucking characters in, in one shot or a couple of shots. And it was just painful to fucking animate them all <laughs> yeah. because I don't know. Like, I really don't know a lot about, anim like, I have no formal training in animation. So 
just like getting the basics right was hard. So what I what I could do though was just um, focus on like the texture of of the creatures, like like giving them wrinkles and proper skin underneath their shell and stuff, and trying to make them as detailed looking as possible. Because I always thought, well, I mean, you know, if they look really good, maybe people won't notice that they aren't moving too well, you know. <laughs> but that also, I thought, you know, this could feed into, say, you know, when you look at, like, Gremlins movie or, you know, Critters or something. It's just, they look like fucking hand puppets, you know. They don't really do much, you know. Yep. Um, they're kind of restricted anyway. So I kind of just, that's how I made myself feel better about it. I was like shit these boys are just kind of standing around doing nothing but uh fuck it you know maybe no one will notice it's only five minutes long now hold um, on no, i'm gonna cut you off there you say sure. they're doing nothing yet you've created a creature that is going to react to physics in a way unlike a human because we're not talking about a biped and you've also given them four tentacles did i cut out right there yeah sorry okay <laughs> i thought i did okay so yeah you've created a creature that is not a biped I, I cut out I, this damn thing. Hold on. I'm going to make a note for our engineer. Okay. Yeah. So the squids you've made are not a biped. They don't react. They don't act like regular humans would, at least in uh, while interacting with gravity. And then you've given them all four tentacles. It's like I know watching them so move. Stupid. <laughs> no, but here's the thing. You're right. They don't run around or jump. They're not blowing up bridges. But just watching them stand there and all the character you've given them. I mean, clearly the shells are very detailed. The tentacles have different texture. And all of this is just, it's what an audience likes to consume when we're looking at a uh, digital creature. You've given them so much life. I mean, the guy with the pole and the human skull, he's missing a tentacle. And you just sit there and you're like... What happened to this dude? Like he already feels lived in. And I'm telling you, it may not feel like people pick up on this stuff. And honestly, they cognitively might not. But it it really paints a very uh, lived in, um, for lack of a better word, shell. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I mean, dude, you, you almost make it sound like they're not lively when I would only argue the contrary. They're so lively. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, because I worked on it for, I think, the majority of a year, you know, so it was very difficult to to look at it. Even now, I mean, it's difficult for me to, to watch it and and kind of accept that. Uh, it's like, oh, my God, people are actually watching this. So embarrassing, <laughs> you know, because all I see are the the problems, you know. That's just like, I think that's just a natural thing for all creators. Sure. You know, you just kind of you can see the issues or, or things you do differently next time, maybe. But, you know, you know, having said that, I was aware that, you know, I, I, I really hate in the kind of movies with CGI creatures now that they're, you never really have time to get a decent look at them, you know, or they're moving like so chaotically or frantically (laughs) and they're, they're chasing someone all the time. And it's like, how the fuck is that creature not catching that person? Like if it can move that fast, if it can do that. So I was kind of like, you know, that's how I kind of made myself feel better about it. So it's like, 
no, I'm, you know, I'm not going to hide these creatures. I'm not going to be high. I'm not going to like shaky camera work or they're not going to be hiding in the shadows or anything like that. No, it's just going to be broad fucking daylight and they're all out in the open. And, you know, if it works, then great. But I mean, at least I'll have tried to do something uh, cool, which was, you know, to be fair, was to stay true to the comic book because it was based on a comic um, written by um, Canadian artist Supremo Simon Roy. And, um, you know, that's that was kind of uh, the one priority that I kept above all was that I wanted to try and keep true to the comic and try and give the feeling I had reading that comic the first time uh, to people who were watching my film for the first time, you know, which was just like, holy shit, that was cool. I mean, can we have more? You know, because it was a short comic, like it's just the same as the as the film. And um, and, you know, I have gotten a lot of feedback and generally that's the feedback, you know, that people just want more and say, um, you know, what are your plans? Have you got a screenplay or anything? Um, you know, cut to three years later. We, we do now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, so is so it was is a it a collaborative movie. effort? Are you working with Simon Roy on this? Yeah, yeah, we are. We're working together on it. I mean, that was one of the actually got like going back to talking about people who kind of make films for the internet. Um, that was one of the the lessons I learned after making good business was, you know, a lot of people got in touch with me after that and said this is really good and, you know, like, like important people I should say like. You know, like uh, people who uh, work for production companies like in L.A. or in in Europe or here in Ireland. And they all asked the same question, which was, um, you know, what else have you got? Like, so, yeah, the short's good, great. But, I mean, we don't give a fuck about that because we can't <laughs> sell it or do, do anything with it. It just go, it just kind of gets people interested in what you're offering. So it's, they're like. You have a script for it? No. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, if you ever do, maybe get back to us. And, you know, before you can answer, they've already hung up the phone. Um, so that was, um, that was pretty, I wouldn't say it was a hard lesson to learn, but it was definitely a valuable one, you know, and it's um, um, something that, you know, I didn't really think was an option back in, I think 2017 is when the film came out. I actually can't remember uh, when I released it, but, um, you know, uh, I didn't really talk to Simon about the idea of doing a feature version until maybe a year after um, the short came out. And it was purely just because, you know, people just kept asking about it, you know, and I was trying to uh, focus on kind of much smaller kind of horror concepts for feature films you know like just you know how to get some kind of interesting story with you know like a house-based horror you know someone trapped in a remote location there's 
creatures involved or something like that. Now you're talking about 90% of the films <laughs> that we watch. And exactly. Ha- yeah. Exactly. I mean, there's, a, there's a reason is that. And I mean, but Ray, you know, I'm, I don't think reasons- it's a, I don't think it's a good thing. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, eventually, uh, you know, uh, we're talking about looking at the craft behind film. Eventually, you can have a great movie. Like, I defend The Lodge all the time from the, the makers of Goodnight Mommy. Except now, I think, you know, audience just, we see one house with two characters and a ghost. And we're like, oh, they didn't have any money. And even though the film is good, we, we can't get away from it. And I, I'm, I want to keep going. Um talking about the films that you wanted to make and smaller horror things, because now that, now that we're talking about it and I see that good business is a collaborative effort. First, the comic looks beautiful and I'm definitely going to look up Simon Roy. I had no idea that, uh, this was related to an, uh, an IP project before, but your work, your other work, one of the things that we love personally in this house is how dark your stories are. And is, is that kind of where uh, your auteur impact would be coming from? Like, do you have a dark history that you're kind of working your, your way through in film? That's a, that's a very um, big word you just used there. <laughs> it's French, I'm too. I I'm glad I didn't refer to myself. Okay. Like <laughs> but, I, but I welcome being described that way. That's fine. Um, so, yeah, you mean like... Like, you kind of... So, like, are you asking why I'm so... Yeah, kind of. Well, I mean, no. I, okay, so we did we did the thing again where uh, we have a guest on camera and we're not. And uh, of course, you are much more charismatic a man than me and Clark put together. And speak for yourself, you uh, you know you're so well put together that I'm kind of worried you got bodies in the closet or something. Especially <laughs> when right before we walk up here, it's skeleton in the. Closet. No, no, but I'm talking about he's killed people. <laughs> I'm not. He's not hiding. That's secrets. not a term of phrase, but continue. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> I'll coin it from here on out. Um, and I'm coming up here, and Clark's like, "Dude, did you check out his short on Vimeo?" And I'm like, "Hey, Oksana, throw it on really quick." And the first thing I see is a car, <laughs> a car running over a child. And I'm like, oh, dude, oh, nice. yeah. I'm like, Ray's got like a little Michael Haneke in him or something <laughs> like, yeah, like are this, the scripts you're writing are a little bit darker. Can you uh, expound on that? Well, the self-assembly is what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. Guys that start, yeah. Jesus, spoiler alert for people who haven't seen it. It's yet. like 20 it seconds in. <laughs> it is right. In and it was shocking. I'm doing them a favor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know that was actually based on another another comic, yeah, uh, by an Irish uh, two Irish guys, uh, Cahill Duggan and Garrett Shanley, and that was um, I think I, I'm not sure when I what year I read that uh, comic. I think they published it in 2010, but when I read it, I was it was probably around 2011 when I read it. And I was kind of at that stage where I need, I wanted to, you know, it was a new year. So I wanted to make another short film and my VFX skills were just about there. And I was thinking, I think I can do this, this weird creature in this comic book, you know? And I got in touch with, uh, the writer Garrett and he he was kind of like, why do you want to make this? And I was like, you know, essentially, I was just like, well, because I can, you know, I can, I can, it's basically set in 
pretty much just set in one room, you know, in a house. And it was like two actors and I can do a CG monster. And um, I think, you know, I, I kind of annoyed him, like pestered him for a few weeks about it. And eventually he was just like, isn't if you, you know, if you want to go make that, then fine. Just, you know, leave me alone. Kind of thing. <laughs> uh, so I was like, great. And did it. And I think when I, I sent it to him, he was just shocked, you know, because uh, like first of all i finished the project which is really rare you know for people filmmakers want to make short films all the time even getting them finished you know a lot of people don't just give up you know like halfway through they'll encounter some issue or they realize that it's difficult and they'll just say fuck this it's not worth it and it sits <laughs> on a shelf forever or whenever so yeah, he was amazed by it, and that that got a lot of attention too. Um, but I didn't actually. Yeah, I didn't. I think that's like a superior film as well. Like that played at a lot of festivals, and uh, it played worldwide as well. Um, but I also put it online, so that kept me out of a lot of other festivals. But it got like a Vimeo staff pick at the time, and that was a big deal at the time as well, especially for such a fucked up story you know <laughs> you know usually would they just post like you know beautifully sunlit skateboard videos or something like that <laughs> um or like you know really powerfully emotional uh dramas so um you know i was actually probably the first time i learned that um you know if you don't have something to back it up then it's it's pretty much worthless. Obviously I didn't learn that lesson the first time, which is why it happened again after good business. Um, but it just, this like the story appealed to me because I found it funny, but also uh, disturbing. So I kind of like uh, sitting on that fence of, I know some people are going to find this funny, and some people are going to find it uh, disturbing. Like I, like I talked to um, actually a, a guy who reviews movies here in Ireland. Um, he said Self Assembly was his his favorite Irish Irish short film of all time, and he wow. said he still has night nightmares about it. <laughs> and and I was like, I was like, oh, he's one of those people who find it really scary and stuff. And that makes no sense to me because it's so fucking. <laughs> you know silly yeah. but so weird as well and i think um i'm not saying uh you know my like i really like david lynch i think that's probably pretty obvious um but a lot of people said self-assembly reminded them of eraserhead and i actually even though i love david lynch i'd never actually seen eraserhead so <laughs> oh wow uh, yeah like it's just you know, one of those things, like I probably did watch it when I was about 19 or something, but had no recollection. Um, but everyone, you know, everyone, I think people found it so weird that they had to kind of grasp on to something familiar and say, sure. oh, it's it's kind of like a razor head. You know, now I feel better. <laughs> yeah. You know, like they, um, it, was, it kind of, um, I don't know, just just let them. Uh, let them share it with you and just say, yeah, I think I know what it was about. 
Um, actually, are you guys aware of the film called um, Vivarium? It's Imogen Poots and Jesse Eisenberg. Familiar, have not seen. My, my buddy just um, gave me a Blu-ray copy of it. I haven't watched it yet, though. Well, uh, the guy who wrote Self-Assembly wrote that movie. Oh. Uh, yeah, directed by an Irish director as well called Lorcan Finnegan. Um, so, yeah, I think... Actually, Irish horror is looking pretty fucking good. Oh. Cut out. Wait, I hope he comes we'll back. There we go. There we go. You cut out right there. We lost oh. you after Irish horror is looking pretty good. Yeah, I think Irish horror is looking really good at the moment. Uh, are you aware of Lee Cronin? He's directing the new Evil Dead movie. No. Um, yeah, another Irish director. And um, it's, I think, there's another guy, Kieran Foy. He's got a movie called Eli that's on Netflix. Yeah, Eli. Uh, yeah, another Irish guy. Um, and I think another movie which has done really well. Uh, called Sea Fever. Have you guys heard of that one? No. Dude, I'm writing these all down. Yeah, that's uh, by an, an Irish director. Her name is Nessa Hardiman. Um, and I think <clears throat> kind of what's happened, like in, in Ireland, we have this um, kind of government funding for arts. And it's, while it's not like a lot, um, you know, there are agencies here that, support and promote Irish and when I was making like my <clears throat> kind of early horror movies and stuff and, and look and looking at what was kind of being supported at the time I was like well there's no fucking way I'm ever going to get support from from these organizations because they weren't making anything like what I would want to make um but I think as the industry has changed you know naturally over the last 10 years they've realized that the horror genre is exploding, you know, oh, and there's sure. a lot, there's a lot of people who love horror in Ireland, you know, and, um, it's, it's really, it's, it's coming out now. And it's, um, you know, I'm like amazed to be, you know, getting any kind of support for the, um, for the squids movie, uh, because it's like this kind of, I guess from the outside, it, it it seems like kind of a big budget sci-fi, and you would just think a couple of Irish guys want to make like a sci-fi movie. Like this is ridiculous, but you know, people are taking notice now, and technology is is here to do it. So, um, I think yeah, people maybe need to get ready for this this wave of filmmakers that's coming out of Ireland at the moment. Um, because they're just producing amazing stuff, you know, and I, I hope to join them pretty soon. All right. Now, um, now Ray, I want to close uh, with you talking about the Squoids movie. Tell us what you can. Uh, but I quickly, I just want to know. And again, this question is going to expose my naivete and my ignorance, Ray. But I, I'm I'm comfortable with that, so I've got no issue um, exposing that. But I it, I want to talk about the thing at two thirty seven. And you were talking about the animation uh, beforehand. And so I wanted to know, like, obviously, when you see a skeleton walk, at least for me, you think of Harryhausen. So the way yeah. that the, the skeleton moved, was that was that a um, thing that you had in mind where you were trying to replicate that movement? Uh, 
like from Harryhausen? You yeah. Mean? Was I trying to? Do yeah, because like that was the first thing that came to my mind when I saw that. Um. Well, thank you. I think uh, that's that's a very nice compliment to to be compared to um, Ray Harryhausen. Um, who I was named after, actually. That's where my name comes from, Ray. Really? Yeah, that's a no. That's a lie. That's. Oh. I thought I really yeah, hit this good, question uh, home run. But very good. Uh, <laughs> um, was it something I consciously did? No, you know. <laughs> um, I really struggled with that, the animation of that walk cycle for a long time. And uh, I still don't like it. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I do think, I, I did stop because I thought, yeah, it doesn't look, it doesn't look 100% right. But I think that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Um because it does look weird. And uh, I think I covered it up as best as I could, <laughs> you know? Uh, I, I mean, like, you know, I, I do really like that short film. And I'm kind of, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of like my worst performing short film, I think as well. Um, like maybe like the best reviewed, but least viewed short I've done. Um, so, yeah, maybe after doing this, more people will check it out, <laughs> and ho- hopefully, I don't leave worse reviews. For well, me. well, now I'm curious. So, if what is a good um, skeleton movement? I mean, Harryhausen's kind of the earliest, but then we have like Total Recall with the X-ray machine, sure. or we got like Army of Darkness, where we have like a bunch of puppets also, yeah. everywhere. Like Ray, yeah. what do you think is the best uh, executed skeleton? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm just going to have to say that Harry has and uh, stuff. Uh, I mean, I did see, I think it was like, like I'm not like a, obsessed with um, I think Game of Thrones, but there was like an amazing, really brief sequence in that where I think some skeletons crawled out of the snow and were chasing after some characters. And like, I think it was it was very brief, but I think I saw that while I was making the thing at two three seven, and I was like, "Fuck, I need to make this look better." <laughs> so, I, 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 yeah, it was like, "Oh fuck, I got to do a better job," and I think that's why um, I think that's why like, I actually kind of completely reconstructed it at one point, and uh, you know, it turned out way better, obviously. Uh, I'm curious, actually. I'm just like looking at it on IMDb. There, did you guys hang around for after the credits? And there's like a tiny shot at the end of the movie. So um, the first two times we watched it, I don't think we did. But we had uh, uh, again. Um, we had some friends over from uh, Canada staying with us, and that third time we did, and we all were. It was kind of a nice um, surprise for everybody. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I think uh, I think it was like the shot I was most proud of in the whole thing. And then I think one of my friends said, well, you fucked it up by putting it at the end. Yeah, and no one see it. <laughs> yeah people only Fair stick enough. around for, uh, I guess, Marvel movie credits. I don't know. Yeah, I guess I thought everyone everyone's doing that these days. Why not join in? But uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully some people saw it. Well, when when you were talking about self-assembly earlier and how um, you know, people can either find comedy or be scared of it. I think 
the thing we're really learning to negotiate now, especially in the pandemic and quarantine, is just how to pay attention to one screen at a time. And so many people have their phone out when they're fucking with shit. And self-assembly with, with comedy, I think you kind of give audiences a chance to just kind of go along for the ride. And yeah. when when you're like Shaun of the Dead and you can somehow walk this line of horror and comedy, I think that's when you get those, like, you can really scare people when they're laughing. And yeah. uh, fucking credits, dude. They're just, they're almost like a checkered flag of, okay, you can stop paying attention now. Yeah. Which, you know, I, we do a podcast and we talk to, to filmmakers and it's a bummer because that little name <laughs> means so much to those people. You know, like the credits are important to the people who are involved and audiences just have never given a fuck like forever. <laughs> well, the Bay Area, That's I think, true. has a pretty strong culture of staying for credits. Yeah, we, we are weird in that way. Yeah, yeah. I, I noticed that because, oh, nice. yeah, growing up in the South doesn't happen. <laughs> and when I when I, I've lived out here for nearly a decade and I was like, whoa, everybody, no one left. Yeah, but I'm still so cynical that I think most people are in the credits to kind of intellectually shame their friends like i'm reading the credits why aren't you i mean look you I can <laughs> package it any way you want to and then every now and then you'll get somebody who's like trying to test you yeah they're like oh did you see that set designer yeah. they were and it's like bitch you don't know the set designer on this movie and anyway ray we stayed for the credits we love your work <laughs> oh thank you well they were only like 12 seconds long <laughs> <laughs> Still, the attention span of people nowadays. So, Ray, it seems like you're still you're very busy. You've get you're working on the feature and you're working on a short at the same time. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, doing uh, a short film, which I actually got a small bit of funding for. So that really takes the edge off having to worry about where to just you know. You know, finding money just just to pay for you know food on the day and you know small things like that. You know, it it adds up. Um, so yeah, I'm happy to get a little bit of funding from the Arts Council uh, here in Ireland. So they, you know, at the start of the you know the whole lockdown thing, they announced some supports for artists, and one was this. So I applied for it and amazingly got it because I've never gotten you know, funding from, from anything like that before. And then um, the Squoid script. Yeah, it's a weird one. Like, I always found it strange when people, you know, you listen to podcasts or watch interviews and people say, well, I can't really say too much. And I always think, well, fuck that guy. <laughs> um, but now, now, now I understand why, because you're, I don't know if, all the people who are involved want to uh, want others people to know that they are interested, if that makes sense. Um, so I can't really talk about the squads too much. Sure. I mean, what I can say is that um, like it's fucking awesome project and it's fun. Like it's, it's a, there's adventure in it. There's horror stuff in it. There's, gross shit going on and you know what we've been hearing is that it's you know the potential to be a highly commercial project hence there's been a lot of interest in it and i think 
you know, although it's a fucked up time to be in the industry, um, we've had access to people we probably wouldn't have had access to before because everyone's just at home taking meetings and reading scripts and stuff. So, yeah, or like, you know, hopefully news will come out pretty soon that I can share you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with everyone. But, you know, at the moment, I'm just really excited. And it feels like a lot of different things are kind of, um, you know, coming into place at the moment. And, you know, finally, it seems like my career is headed the way I kind of wanted it to. And actually, maybe I should just quickly say that this all kind of came from a actually um, a program that I, I got a, uh, took part in that was run by Screen Ireland uh, here. And that started last, <clears throat> I think it was November it started in. And it finished in February, so right before the pandemic. But um, essentially that program was, uh, it brought together kind of the brightest uh, kind of producing talent in, in Ireland who had feature film projects and wanted to uh, learn how to sell them at kind of like film market. So the idea was that they were going to bring us to the European film market in Berlin. Um, but, you know, for a couple of months before that, it explained to us the entire process of how sales distribution works for films. Um, so like when I was on that course, I had one of these small, you know, feature projects, which was, you know, set in a house with monsters or whatever. And the guy running the course, who uh, John McDonald, who runs Fantastic Films, who produced Vivarium and Sea Fever, he was like, why aren't you doing the Good Business movie? And I was like, John, that's like, you know, that's going to be a huge budget and like no one's going to pay for that. And he's like, yeah, but it's a good idea. So, you know, he was like, get to work, dumbass, basically. <laughs> you know, what, what's this like stuck in a house bullshit? So I was like, oh, okay. And that's when I kind of got the ball rolling again with Simon. You know, we had talked about what a feature might be like, you know, uh, a lot. You know, we've become good friends, I, I think, as well. So when I kind of pitched the idea to Simon about maybe preparing something for this um, European film market, you know, he was in. And, um, yeah, just like I just got you know, the right kind of meetings at the right time. And it just seems like people are interested in this project. And um, that's kind of like, kind of how I got to this, where I am now it was all because of this course. It was all because of the support of Screen Ireland, um, you know, which was, it felt like I was outside of that environment, you know, because I was just making my own short movies and weird horror and stuff. But, um, you know, I think once, once you, uh, well, once I demonstrated that, you know, well, number one, that I wasn't going to go away, you know, <laughs> yeah. still, still going to keep making movies no matter what, but also that, you know, I had a, a, lot, a lot to offer. And also I kind of needed, it, it probably happens for a lot of people. You kind of just need one person to kind of, you know, have your back or just to vouch for you or just to say, you know, Maybe you should consider putting this guy onto the core, onto the producer course, you know, because, um, like, like, you know, my career has basically been transformed in the last, um, in the last few months because of this course, 
and I actually didn't get onto it. I was rejected, and I think the day before it started, I got a phone call from the course coordinator, and she said, "Oh, someone dropped out. You were next on the list." Oh. You in or <laughs> and I was like, uh, "Yeah," and I was like, you know, like genuinely, I was like, when I didn't get on that course, I was like, "Well, I guess I better find a." normal job now <laughs> and i was like i was like looking at you know working at a bakery i think they were looking for someone oh. to clean and i was like i was like this could be pretty sweet it's like starts it starts really early and it finishes early too and i was like like this is genuinely my how my mind is working i was like i could probably you know i'd probably get at least a discount on bread <laughs> you know? this could be great this could be great for me you know and i could maybe i could make movies on the weekend or something and then, you know, I get this phone call and it's like, hey, someone dropped out. You want in? And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, well, left my job at the bakery and, you know. Back to full price bread. God. Yeah. Can you talk uh, a little bit about how you got the list of names of the people before you and who, how you picked the one to kill? <laughs> 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 no, Ray, seriously, be- before we let talk you. talk about that. <laughs> before we let you go. Um, I think it's important just uh, to kind of um, show how much work you put into it. H- how many man hours does it take to make a film like Good Business, like Ballpark? Fuck, oh, oh, I don't know. I don't want to know. <laughs> you said about a uh, year, right? Yeah, yeah, it was about a year. But I mean, like, I can't say it was like a year full time. Sure. I think uh, I, we, we shot it in... Like we shot it in eight hours okay. in July in July 2016, and I think I released it in July 2017, and um, I'm pretty sure, you know, it was like literally like I had maybe fully finished it for two days before I I put it online. Now, are are so, are we talking like you would uh, have dedicated weekends, or are you working on this thing seven days a week? Uh, it was just like literally like whenever I could, you know, whenever I could. And I think, um, actually after I, when I made self-assembly, um, I shot that just before, uh, my son was born. So I was like, oh shit, I better make a movie before <laughs> we have a kid because I definitely won't be able to do that kind of stuff after. And but I was able to make self-assembly and that was fine. And then finish it. You know, because my wife had maternity leave as well. This is very practical. This is like like how how a you know uh, independent filmmaking works. You know, really practical. So like, how does your life fit into it? Yeah. But you know, my, my wife was on maternity leave, so I was able to um to work on the film and do visual effects work as well because my wife was at home looking after the kid. And then when she went back to work, uh, I was like, well do we really want to send our son to, you know, a, a crash, we call it here, daycare or whatever it is over there uh, and have someone else raise him essentially, you know? So I looked after him for a long time, maybe, uh, maybe nine months, I think. So I was like a kind of stay at home dad kind of thing. So I wasn't really able to capitalize on the, the success of self-assembly because it actually did really well. It won awards and stuff. And by the time good business came around, obviously my son is older, 
had a bit more time as well. Um, but it was way more complex, so it took a lot longer than self-assembly to make. Um, but I mean, you know, putting a figure on the hours, literally, I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Like, I don't know. You know, I, I know it was way too fucking long. <laughs> well, I, I one, at one point I did just, you know, want to curl up and die. Um, but I just, you know, had to force myself to, to keep going. Well, Ray, yeah. we, we just met you. But I can say uh, you got your priorities in check. <laughs> Took care of your kid first. And norm- <laughs> normally when we look at a, a talented filmmaker like yourself and we see seven films in 10 years and they're all short, I, I in my head I think of a narrative that uh, you know, you're, you're working a nine-to-five and you're kind of struggling with, am I even going to do this? But now I'm starting to feel like it just takes a year to make these shorts for you. And I think they're worth it. They're beautiful and... You, you've got a career ahead of you. Uh, you got to keep going. We need more films from you. And please keep us updated with them. When when your feature comes out and uh, you've got, I don't know, who's big? Ving Rhames in it? Tonks? <laughs> I don't know why Ving Rhames is my go-to. That's good. I think he might be too old now. I, <laughs> I got I to put him on the list. But that's, yeah. yeah. Please keep us updated, man. Uh, you've got he, at least. He calls them alien motherfuckers. It'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> You, you've got um, at least three cheerleaders out here in California and a couple in Canada we can vouch for. So that's amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, Ray, you're very, you're, you're very kind, and it's it's uh, it's great to hear positive stuff about my my work. Makes it all worthwhile. Keep Amen. going, man. Yeah, real people are, we're watching it, man, and it's great, and uh, we brag about it. So good job, Ray. Great. Well, I'll I'll keep you guys updated, and I think uh, if you want to, uh, you know, follow me on Instagram and stuff. That's pretty much where I live as far as updates go. And you know, it's not going to be long now. I think I'm filming. I'm filming on the fifth and sixth of August for the new short. So I'm sure I'll mm-hmm. I'll post some kind of updated stuff on Instagram about that uh, because. I think it's something I kind of want to do now is kind of just share a bit more about the process as well. So I'm going to take this short film as kind of an opportunity to do that. So I'll be posting, you know, maybe some storyboards or pictures of the set or, um, you know, the creature concepts and things like that. So that'd be a good place to keep yourselves updated if you want. Perfect. Yeah. I'm surprised you don't have a YouTube channel where you're, you're looking at, digital effects or anything you got the setup for it the camera looks beautiful i don't know i generate some revenue off there i'd love to watch you on youtube i yeah i thought a lot about doing a youtube channel but holy shit it's a lot of work at the same time you know and i think that's you know another lesson i kind of need to teach myself is like i just i got to focus on on what i'm good at right now and and there's there's people who are doing the youtube stuff who are so fucking good at it that it's it's almost makes no sense to even you know chuck your voice into that arena you know no um, you know i I'm, I'm not looking for the best at these things i'm looking for people i can relate to people yeah. real people yeah. people who are raising kids uh looking at bakery jobs on yeah. indeed and not mr beast <laughs> <laughs> yeah fuck them I, i'm rooting for you ray we love you dude oh thanks Thank you so much. I love you too. <laughs> Thanks, Ray. 